0: Detective,
1: thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've
2: seen things you people wouldn't believe.
1: Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain.
2: Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally
1: predicted.
3: Welcome to Valhalla, boys and gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Val. Huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
1: So celestial so event. No words. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't
2: you? What's the boogeyman?
1: As a matter of fact, it was.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast. The crossroads where science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartlebaugh, and tonight I am not joined by Bill Van Vagel. That would not be a regular occurrence, but for tonight, I actually have three guests that I want to bring in, and then I'll let let everyone know what our topic is, kind of a a special episode that we're hoping will become a series, and uh, tonight I have... Dave Roy, uh, who is also from Canada, like Bill, and he is the host of the Great Fright North podcast. And uh, Dave, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. My other co host for tonight is Victor Rodriguez, who's also been on the show before. He's author of the anthology collection, The Sound of Fear. And you actually have a podcast that's, that you also narrate some of your stories and talk about them.
1: That's 100% right. Yeah. Uh, my friend Josh and I are doing a podcast called Inside the Sound of Fear. Every episode, I do a reading of one of my stories in the book. And then Josh interviews me about the story, uh, what my inspirational sources were, stuff like that. And um, yeah, episodes are up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you download stuff. And um, we got the final six coming probably in the next month or two. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun
3: subbing in for Bill tonight. I was told to let this person know that they have been dubbed uh, his Jay Leno or actually he then downgraded and said, no, Andy Richter. But we we have Tommy Wood from the Real Talk podcast who's joining us tonight. And uh, Bill said that the only the the only stipulation is that you have to, according to our imaginary to be agreement, mention to be at least seven times during this episode, the same way that Bill would if you were here. (laughs)
0: Thanks, <laughs> Nathan. I'm so
3: glad to be here. Thanks so much, Nathan. Appreciate having me on.
0: uh Yeah, I am going to talk about Tubi a whole lot. Uh, it's in my contract with you guys. And, you know, <laughs> talking with Bill a lot, I'm really starting to warm up to Tubi. So I might be becoming a Tubi guy. But so happy to join everybody. It's great to be on with Victor and Dave. Nice to
3: meet you guys. Yes. And then so yeah, so tonight's episode is the X-Files. We're going to discuss season one of the X-Files. And uh, it's funny, because this is we were just talking about how this has been sort of a developing thing. Over the summer, I was talking to Dave, and we were talking about, oh, we should do an episode for the X-Files, which we planned. And then due to schedules and stuff, we didn't quite get a chance to do it. And then Victor approached me and said, oh, you know, it'd be cool we do the X-Files. I was like, well, I have Dave over here. Let's do it together. And then we posted this uh, on Facebook that this was going on about an hour or so ago. And then Tommy (laughs) contacted me about within that time frame and was like, oh, if you ever do another X-Files episode, let me know. And I said, well, you know, there's still time to get in on this one. So he was very diligent because I believe he's watched about three quarters of the pilot. But from what I understand, Tommy uh, has already seen all of these episodes multiple times in the past. So everybody who's involved I think is a big fan of the show, as am I. So tonight uh, we're going to talk about season one. I do want to say up front we are not probably going to go into extraordinary detail where we spoil every element, but Mm -hmm. this is going to be a spoiler episode. So if you are really looking to kind of watch these episodes fresh, I would say do that before you listen. Uh, Again, we're not probably going to go beat by beat, but as we talk about some of these episodes and as we talk about the overarching storyline of the x-files there will be big events that happen even in this first season that would affect your viewing if you're somebody who wants to go into it cold so i just want to put that up front but then uh, the way we're going to handle this is we're going to go around and give our our feeling general feelings about the show when it first came out specifically season one and what it was like when it entered the sort of tv landscape at the time and then we're going to uh, go around and talk about uh, each of us picked three episodes. Tommy just joined, so Tommy's going to share the pilot, but then he will also share his thoughts on the episodes that we've all picked. And we're going to share our three favorite. We kind of so that we weren't all doing the same one. We tried to make sure that we had nine different episodes. But I think these represent, for the most part, the ones that we think are some of the strongest episodes of the season. And then uh, after that, we'll discuss our general thoughts about the story arc for season one and share a couple things like maybe some of our least favorite episodes or favorite appearances in the show things like that so just to kind of get this started uh my my very basic general thoughts and 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 give you an idea for the show when it first came out it's it's hard to believe how long it's been you know i mean if first off it's been off the air for several years in fact even the reboot from a few years ago it's now been a couple years since that aired 1993 in in september of 93 was when the show actually aired now i find i'm finding different dates for when the pilot aired uh do you guys do you guys know anything about that when the i I feel like i saw the pilot september 10th was that the first time because i feel like i saw the pilot before the show really started running and i know back in the day particularly with things like um, with uh, Fox and other uh, stations, sometimes they would develop a pilot for a show and air it, and then you might not see anything from it again for a little bit of time. So I wasn't certain if this happened like that, or that it did air pretty close to the release date.
2: I, I wonder if that is possible. I did, you know, IMDB trivia is, you know, not gospel, but I did notice in the trivia for the first, sorry, for the second episode that, Apparently, it was filmed a year later. So, is it possible that, yeah, maybe the the pilot was floating out there and they played it a couple times?
3: Yeah, it, it may be something like that. And I don't remember exactly. I do know that when it finally did become a show, it was, I remember the summer of 1993 leading up to that which was a really fun summer because you had Jurassic Park and other things like that coming out at the time. Mm. And uh, it was a, you know, it was a pretty good summer for movies. I think surf ninjas. I'm just kidding. But you know, it was uh there was a lot of uh, sci-fi stuff and on television, there really hadn't been a, at that point in time, really outside of like deep space, oh, nine man. Babylon five, you had those science fiction shows, but you didn't have, first off, you had no that I can think of during that time frame any really long running, horror themed television show unless you guys get there maybe was
2: friday the 13th the series but yeah like yeah man other other shows that were on at the same time were premiered like the nanny lois and clark Sequest. you could watch kung fu the legend continues like
3: yeah that's how i remember same that. quality stuff you know upn yeah. had a whole batch of them because you got kind of excited like oh they're doing kung fu the legend continues and mantis and you know time tracks and you're right they were all they- kind of somewhat subpar earth uh, earth two was later, but yeah, some, some I mean, Seinfeld was on, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Not the same quality at all. Remember the show, Briscoe County jr. Yeah. That's yeah. uh, Yeah. That was on there right after the X-Files. And I remember reading this, that that was the show Fox thought would be the hit that year. Like that was going to be the hit. And X-Files was going to be a bomb because like you guys said, there hasn't been any, there hadn't been anything like that that, that was successful in like many years. And so well, they put all their eggs in the Briscoe basket.
2: And and Fox being new, I wonder if, if this show started on a different network, would they have given it a second season? Fox was pretty new. They didn't have a ton of content. So maybe yeah. it had time to
1: breathe, you know? Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. And it's, I mean, for the record, I, I think that uh, Brisco County Junior was uh, an awesome show. I, I remember being most into watching that on, I guess it started maybe Sundays or Fridays. I forget which, but I know it switched to the other after a while. Um, but because uh, X-Files was, you know, back to back with Briscoe, I got into X-Files. That yes, made, that's exactly I right. It. In fact, I,
3: I had never seen actually the, uh, the Evil Dead movies when I was younger. So I had gone with my... Uh, Dad to the theater, like in the fall, in the winter, I guess, of '93, and we went to like a discount theater and saw Army of Darkness, and I was like, "This is amazing!" And over the summer, I'd found Evil Dead, yes. and so then I'm like, I, "I'm hearing about this Briscoe County Junior Show," not aware that Bruce Campbell's in it, or you know, I have a, a basic idea that Bruce Campbell's done these movies, but not. A, not a lot else I know. I've seen him in other things, but and then to turn this show on, and that's the one I was excited for. You're right; they put all the money into Briscoe. It was kind of like a throwback to the Wild Wild West, uh, the, the you know the the old TV series. And then watching it, that's the one I tuned in for because it did air first. It was on at eight, and they started running it on Friday nights. I think they did. They aired the pilot a couple times, Victor, like you said, like on Sundays and other places, and then they moved it to. Mm. Uh, or it might have been a deal, you know, back then I forget that they kind of did the syndicated thing a little bit where it would air once on like one night and then air again a little later to give the show some exposure, you know. So I think they were airing it sometimes on Sundays and sometimes on Fridays. It ultimately ended up on Friday and then X-Files came right after it and that was the same way. I was mostly tuning in for Briscoe, but then I saw the X-Files and, you know, it took a little bit. To get into it, sadly, Briscoe County Junior did get kind of canceled after a year. I, I think, I, I don't know if it would have had legs. I would have loved to seen it go further because there's some interesting sci-fi stuff happening on that show, too, even though largely it was comedy. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, well, I think the the cool thing about Briscoe is, is um, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. The high production values, great guest stars and, uh, excellent writing. I I think one of the guys that wrote and created Briscoe went on to do lost and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, a Western with uh, Bruce Campbell, perfectly cast as the lead. Um, really, kind of a self-aware is almost like an early Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except with a bigger budget, almost, and a Western. <laughs> yeah, and Julius Carey was great on that show. Yes, yes, Julius Carey was awesome.
3: Yeah, I'm like it's it's uh it's John Aston from Adams Family and Julius Carey from The Last Dragon, and you know, um, <laughs> <So> but <tough. laughs> yeah, yeah, but then so the X Files, you've got the the pilot episode, which we'll we'll talk about. But the other thing that had happened just that summer before for me was we had just gotten the sci-fi channel like, on cable for the first time. And now when people say sci-fi channel, you think of giant CGI snakes and maybe you think of Battlestar Galactic or things like that. But when it first popped up, it had almost none of its own content. I don't know if you guys remember that. like, It was mostly just playing back episodes of all the old science fiction TV shows, which was actually kind of cool because you could turn it on and see The Incredible Hawk and you could see Thunderbirds and you know Space 1999 and all of these things. And then they also ran, and I had I had seen the old TV movie years ago, but I had never seen Kolchak the Night Stalker. So hmm. it was kind of fortuitous that I saw that summer I had got hooked into Colcheck the Night Stalker, unaware that the X-Files was coming, and then to know that Chris Carter... His kind of primary inspiration or his template, even and you can kind of see that was Kolchek, the Night Stalker, when he goes into the X Files. So um, I think I was kind of perfectly primed for it. But I just didn't even know it was really coming. So um, my initial thoughts were, "Wow!" And it, it was hitting all these little boxes, like all the alien stuff, all the like cryptozoological oh, yeah. stuff that goes on, it, and the paranormal stuff. It was. I felt like we had only seen this stuff like tinkered with a little bit on television. Well, you-
2: you hardly ever saw this. I, I don't remember how I hooked on. I feel like I saw the pilot first, but you know how it starts. Uh, I think it says something about this being based on true events. That's uh, that's kind of what hooked me. Like, y- like you say, you didn't see this stuff. The closest you could get, you know, I, I was the kind of kid that was trying to order those time-life books, the paranormal books, because there was no internet. You If you were into aliens, um, what, what where were you finding research how you know how are you talking to people you were kind of an obscure nerd Mm -hmm. like my mom didn't know what area 51 was when the show came out so it was just I thought it was for me you know it was just feeding right right into the things I was into big time as a as I was
1: 17 when this came out yeah man same I, I like I wasn't much older uh, just, um, I had just moved out of my parents' house and, uh, had my own apartment. My roommate was also into sci-fi and I wasn't particularly into UFOs, but, um, I was willing to give the show a chance and, um, I really got into it. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, when we talk about the pilot, I'll, I'll tell you why, but, um, yeah, I, I think that they really, they really nailed, the, um, the, the feel of where people that like, uh, nerdy stuff like myself, um, could go every week to, uh, see some fiction based on it.
2: Yeah. When really nerdy stuff was, that was, uh, you, you were kind of in the minority back then as a nerd, the, uh, I was, I was just thinking when, when the date of the show came up 93, that's almost 30 years ago now. Yeah,
3: it's a little crazy to think, and uh, and I was a, uh, I was just a little bit younger. I was actually probably, I think, I guess, I was probably like thirteen, fourteen. I was just going into high school. Actually, the year that this, uh, that the X Files came out, yeah, like, I was in high school. Yeah, and so. Uh, but that's the time life thing you mentioned is funny because that's what I remember too. Is I had those, or you go to the library and you would get these books out, and like I had like yeah, Encyclopedia of Monsters or the Guide to UFOs oh, and stuff like that. I, I, yeah,
2: hang out in the paranormal section of the bookstore too to to kind of read for free, you know, before chapters. Yeah,
3: you'd get the yeah. and I think Victor's gonna hear me say this again, but you get those books, and the main thing I remembered is they the smell of the old aging glue in the books. Oh yeah, <laughs> associate <laughs> it. I think I have a problem. I don't know. I must have got high a lot uh, off those books but uh um, <laughs> in, in, in every sense but so it, you're right and the two places i fox though if you remember fox would sort of like it, it, in the years before this they would flirt with that a little with like alien autopsy do you remember that and like or they'd have them- some Yeah, I think Fox, and that that actually might have been after the X-Files aired, but I remember they would do stuff like that, or you'd have those videos with the person, their entire face would be blurred out, or they'd be in the shadows, and they would make their voice sound like the teacher from Peanuts, you know, to protect their identity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That or coast to coast. Do You yeah. guys remember on the radio they had um, coast... oh Art Bell.
2: Yes. yes, I used to that. I used to stay up late just to listen to Art Bell. So Art Bell was probably the
3: primary source of that at around the same time, or maybe a little before that, would talk about all these things because Art Bell basically in his mind lived the X Files. Yeah, yeah, that was just him in real
0: life. He was he was yeah, running yeah. from
2: the shadow people. He's still running from the shadow
3: people.
0: And Nathan, I think I'm... west of the Rockies. So I think I'm kind of like the youngest of the group then, because I this show was when it was, I think it came out when I was nine, and oh, it wow. was like the first show that like I remembered like just being so like drawn to as a kid, and it was like like just sucked me in from the very first season, and it was like ever since then I just was like obsessed with it, and it kind of grew me into loving sci-fi. So this show really kind of got me into that world, I think. So I think that's why it's so formative for me, and why I still love it to this day.
2: It very quickly became a water cooler show. I, I, I mean, <laughs> with the people I knew, there were definitely. I, I certainly remember being in class one time, and the girl sitting next to me asked what I was up to. It's you know, it's Friday night. What are you up to this weekend? Oh, I am probably gonna watch the X Files tonight. She looked at me like I had just farted and said, "The X Files." Ew. <laughs> you know, so it probably took a while to grow, but I think wow. by the end of season two, it was it was it was hot you know we were, people were talking about it on monday at school
1: yeah and i think that's also that that was like uh, uh one of the <laughs> one of the, the the layers of of uh of filters that you go through when you mention i'm going to watch the x files this weekend if the girl said cool i'm into it then you're like yeah. hmm maybe i'll go out with her yeah <laughs>
2: This this show also when I looking at the date I was I was just looking at stuff that had that was or wasn't around when it came out and it's it's also very pre you know like there's so many fans of it but the way we're fans of stuff today people just obsess binge buy t-shirts Funko Pop uh, McFarlane figure you know none of that stuff was around when the X Files came out you couldn't even find a, a, a Duchovny t-shirt. Like there was no, nothing for the fans out there except to get together and talk. And then maybe at the end of the season, you know, they released those, um, it's, it's like a, a an episode guide. I mainly remember them for The Simpsons, but I know there were X-Files ones as well.
0: Yeah, I remember that. I remember there was like an Entertainment Weekly that had like the best, it was like a collector's edition, like halfway through the series run, it was like greatest X-Files episodes. It was just like the whole magazine. Oh I yeah, like just loving that, collecting it. Like I gotta have it because they didn't have anything. Like you couldn't go to the forums yet.
2: No, no, they, oh, there was no. Was there a forum? I mean, I don't even
1: remember if I had yeah. a computer in '93. Right. No. If they did, it would have just been starting around that time. It's kind of it's weird because the, this is pretty much the last TV show where there was no internet on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, no cell phones either right. at first, or not, not yeah. really. But the fans had maybe some access to a really primitive internet. And, um, and yeah, uh, you guys are absolutely right. Like they were all over, like Scully, uh, S- uh, Scully and Mulder were all over Entertainment Weekly. So even when the show wasn't mm-hmm. as strongly rated as other shows, they were still on the cover uh, because, you know, they look awesome and, oh, you know, everybody was just gorgeous. Yeah. Into the show.
2: Actually, probably everybody's got a note like, "Yeah, you said how how they were on every magazine and stuff." I didn't realize. It's funny when I was watching it as a a child, they seemed like put together adults, and uh, it was very (laughs) easy to take them seriously. But (laughs) I watched it; they look like babies. They do now. Yes. Yeah. How is he? How is he already an FBI agent? That's been up and on his way down. Yeah. And they say Jillian Anderson is a medical doctor teaching right. at the FBI Academy. She's 25 well, in that episode.
0: Yeah. And yeah. also like David Duchovny has like, he went to Oxford and like you yeah. said, he's considered the best in the uh, behavioral <laughs> crime or forensics. You know, I'm like, well, what? And yeah. plus, I don't ever remember them like talking about that ever
2: again. Like, no, I, I don't <laughs> remember it coming up either.
0: <laughs> Walter well, her being like an Oxford trained psychiatrist. That's what they say. You're a psychologist.
2: I was. Yeah, you feel like some of that
3: just kind right. of got dumped after the fact. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, those early days of the burgeoning internet, like you said, there's maybe a couple message boards. Most of the people who were probably talk, getting together and able to talk about it were a lot like the lone gunmen themselves, <laughs> you know, like some yeah, guys that were... Totally, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, and it's a funny thing now because I was thinking of all the things that are different now. Like you look at the fact that when the show comes out, uh, nowadays... Peep, every website that's around does a what, like a write up of every episode of a show that comes out. You know, there's no episode where, where right. people are literally just most of the time recounting the plot. But if I'm to be honest, I probably the first show I ever remember seeing on the internet or even seeking because sometimes, you know, maybe you didn't miss the episode, but the episode was so labyrinthian, you were sort of curious what someone else thought about it. The x is the first show I ever remember seeing people actually write. A in-depth write-up of a single episode, you know, and that person not being, say, the Entertainment Weekly writer, but the person running their own probably GeoCities website or something, you know, and you could be sure that someone was putting a lot of thought. That's the first time I really remember that level of analysis coming from the audience where they could share it for a show like that.
0: Yeah, I think I don't think it would ever been done before because there hadn't been those types of shows that were like so serialized and had such an interconnected plot that kind of became like its own story as it continued on, which let the fans really kind of continue on. Because most shows were to kind of just like one episode and it's done with that plot.
2: Well, this does that, but not as much as you think. I, I mean, there's quite a few Monster of the Week episodes where they don't... Pursue the like Mulder's alien conspiracy <laughs>
1: right. sister right
2: right. It certainly does have serialized tendencies, but it's it's nothing like today's TV where you right. you can't miss an episode.
0: It was almost like they had to like kind of baby step us into that. Like they couldn't go all the way into the interconnected of the plot. Like they only did it like partly, like you said.
2: Yeah, I I actually honestly kind of prefer not having to watch every episode, but. I know TV's not going back to this, so...
3: Yeah, it it is definitely a hybrid, and Tommy, you're right, eventually, I think when we get to things like Lost and stuff like that, where the X-Files was serialized is in the sense that when you had those mythology episodes, they they got kind of crazy and goofy as time went on, but they were tightly knit enough that if you were to only watch Mm -hmm. the mythology episodes they did feel more like that compact serialized story, you know, but you had the flavor right. of the monster of the weeks and the shows that still kind of do this. Um, I know because with my kids, I watch like uh, some of the CW superhero shows, like the flash, which I think is actually pretty good. And is it's, it's uh, style is probably closer to something like Buffy, the vampire slayer or the X-Files. It still has that thing. And I'm realizing how much I appreciate that. You still have 20 some episodes and in between this main storyline, you have all these, as you call them, monster of the week episodes. So I still really think there's a lot of value in that sort of format.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Plus, like those, if I remember correctly, those were the episodes of the mythology episodes that were like the big deal. Like those were the ones that like everybody were like really focused on and got it got a lot of the publicity from the media. on.
2: S- certainly up till the first movie. Yeah, every, I mean, we were all dying to figure out this mystery right like we yeah. people people were oh, oh I, I i remember it, it was a movie that people were you know we it wasn't yeah. just like star wars but but people lined up early bought tickets early were there you know didn't want to miss anything about it when that first movie came out yes i yeah. i remember that, that is where i that, that's kind of where the mythology wraps up doesn't that it? It yeah
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, 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 right yes it, in the opportunity we pretend like it is
3: okay it was more of a kick yeah, the pan still, sort of scenario if i remember correctly
0: because in the new season the newest season which was what season 11 there's still chris carter still coming up with new myth- mythologies and backtracking his mythology yeah. so it's oh, oh wow
2: so it's i awful. haven't seen the First, newest one
0: yeah i was just reading about it and we can get into that in a later episode but um he's still you know chris carter's very well known for that of like creating mythology and then backtracking on it
3: yes so what i thought we what would be good to, think to do now is we can go ahead and discuss that pilot episode which does air first and it does feel having rewatched it it does feel like and i think you're right dave that you can kind of see how it was filmed a little bit uh ahead of the other one because it's not that they look a lot different but it does feel just a little bit separate of, of a piece I feel like because when you get to the deep throat episode it almost feels like a now we're going to start the the series again in a sense like you know they they feel of a piece but I feel like either one could be the pilot episode if that makes sense and um, yes yes but I guess I'll turn it over to Tommy because you have seen it before, but you did just watch it. And I know you didn't get to see all of it. But do you sort of want who uh, to set up the first episode for us? And we can all kind of talk about that, the pilot episode.
0: Yeah, definitely. So the pilot episode, like I said, literally just watched really most of it. And of course, it introduces our two main characters, which are, you know, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully. And of course, it even features the cigarette smoking man in there and some of the reoccurring characters there. And it really kind of sets up who these characters are and the main plot of the show in that Fox Mulder, like we've talked about, is a trained psychologist, which I still don't think they ever talk about that again. But he has been relegated to the basement of the FBI and because he wants to pursue kind of this off the book X-Files cases that's really not in the mainstream of the x FBI. And then Dana Scully has been assigned to basically, as he says, to spy on Fox Mulder. And does she really believe in the, this stuff? Yes or no? We don't quite know yet. And one thing I really like what they did in the beginning of the episode is they use Dana Scully as kind of the surrogate audience character to like bring you into this world that Fox Mulder has already been part of. Of course, they do that in a lot of shows and movies, but I think it works really well in this. And from there, it starts off with the plot of the movie or the show where they go into, um, I believe it's Oregon, where they go where these teenagers have they been abducted or not quite sure what's going on and kind of gets into the plot from there. Um so Nathan, anything else you want to talk about when it comes to the plot? You think that that covers it pretty well? Uh,
3: well, you saw the uh, seeing the first episode. Do you want to set up that like the the mystery or the nature of the mystery they're investigating? Because I feel like that's where for the for the kid or the person who read the UFO stories, you were getting kind of excited because they were hitting all the earmarks. You know, they were hitting all the like basic points of what you remember hearing about quote unquote abductions.
0: Yeah. So basically. The two characters. So you've got these two, I guess you can say, teenagers. And in the opening, you know, the it opens with the girl who's kind of like running around screaming, and that's always kind of the the well known trope of the alien abduction. It's like you know you got the wind, everything of that, and then you see a kind of a blurry character walk up. So you're not quite sure what's going on. And within that, um, they find that one of the characters has. These two, I guess, like bumps on the back, is that basically kind of what they're showing there, which kind of basically is going, okay, has there been an abduction or not? And so that's what brings in Mulder and Scully to really kind of figure out what's going on with these characters. You know, what's going on? I don't want to give too much away, but it's basically them trying to figure out, has there been an alien abduction or not? That type of thing.
3: Yeah, that, that's good that works and everybody uh kind of open it up anybody's thoughts about that first episode what you're after seeing it how you uh felt about it or, or thoughts in oh, general yeah. i
2: i i couldn't believe how yeah, another show from this time that i really love is seinfeld season one of seinfeld is is not worth watching again <laughs> this show right from the jump it's it's almost fully formed like Other than like Skinner, uh, what's missing? He's already eating sunflower seeds, and right from the beginning, they're 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 you know they're really good partners. They respect and kind of trust each other by the end of the episode. Yes, I I really like how they're not um, they're very friendly with each other. You know, they're not cynical and snippy. Like I feel like if the show was made today, they might spend a couple of episodes hating each Mm -hmm. other, or she would resent being partnered with him and.
0: Yeah, have really quippy
2: comments all the time.
0: Dave, that's what I was gonna say. Is like that's what I really just noticed about the episode because I hadn't seen it in a long time. Is that how fully formed the show is right from the get, off, like right from the intro introduction, and right from the beginning episode. A lot of shows kind of take a while to get get their free feet set. Totally, The X Files is right there. Like they've got the music, they've got the setting, and I just kind of laugh rewatching it because I kind of noticed it was like, well, of course they film in Vancouver, <laughs> so of course they go into Oregon the very first episode because they <laughs> got to use the you know the Vancouver setting, so it's obvious that they're out there. But the music, the setting, and kind of just the the spookiness of the direction I think fits really well. And it's just amazing how fully formed the show is for me. The-
1: yeah absolutely and I totally agree with david uh i mean th- they got so much right r- in episode one and clearly chris carter the creator and showrunner was thinking about these characters for years before the show ever became a reality because you got yeah the sunflower seeds you can see the little crucifix on uh, uh, you know uh, scully's uh, around scully's neck like all the stuff that mm-hmm. comes into the show as important much later they already knew. They already knew they were going to have it, and I think it's mostly a testament to the to the two, the two actors. I mean, they had such great chemistry from the very start, and uh, yeah. they really nail it. Yeah, they do. I
2: love the uh, when she goes down to the basement. I I, I rewatched it. I, I was saying on online there yesterday. She knocks on the door, and he his Mulder's first line is "Sorry, nobody down here but the FBI's most unwanted." <laughs> And she kind of smiles and walks in. Like, you know, good ice cream. Yeah,
1: like, does he have a, a, a witty line for every time somebody knocks on? <laughs> the janitor comes to the door and he's got something funny to say. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, I, no, it's all right. I'm 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 just checking your garbage, dude. <laughs> well, the genius of that person. So, yeah, I. I
3: Go ahead, Victor. Sorry. You're fine.
1: Oh, no, I was just gonna say, um, no, I just I, I thought that uh, Silence of the Lambs probably was a style guide for these characters coming in, like the dynamic between, I mean, the the haircut and the, and the <laughs> dynamic of Scully. Uh, coming in to see Mulder is kind of like Clarice, uh, you know, being overmatched by Lecter and like Lecter's got like all these weird details and she wants to know them. And Mm -hmm. uh, the dynamic between the two characters starts that way, but they quickly become absolute partners uh, in this. Uh, But, you know, anyway, just an observation.
2: Well, And certainly in her look too. And and again, the IMDb trivia for this one, is it real? I don't know. But one of the, one of the, uh, Quotes is that the producers and the executives wanted uh, the female character to be sexified a little. Could she be blondier, blonder, boobier, and leggier? And the, and Chris Carter says he wow. really had to fight for his vision of you know uh, an honest uh, woman. Like but she's a real person. She's not right. not a, not a doll.
0: Well, Dave, they still had to throw in the underwear scene. I, I noted place.
2: that. They, yes, they do, but it, I think it, I think it, it kind <laughs> of earns it. I guess she didn't need to be yeah, in her underwear, but you could.
0: You know, the studio was like, "This is going good, guys, but we really need that underwear scene yeah. for us." I mean,
2: we well, about it
3: if, can we well, they needed get
2: the Cinemax scene in here,
3: right? What they needed, with yeah, they're like, like "Come on, uh, you know, we can't pull David Duchovny from Red Shoe Diaries if he doesn't get to stand with a lady in her underwear." <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really but the funny show. thing being that the last time anyone had seen David Duchovny, he was wearing the heels and the mini skirt in Twin Peaks, but also in an Twin FBI peaks. agent. Yeah. yeah,
2: and I don't uh, remember him. In yeah,
3: that. well, I didn't either. And I was watching it and all of a sudden this uh, female agent kicks the door down and walks in and then they, they zoom in on it and it's David Duchovny. And at that point, he's not the female agent, but he's uh, – yeah. And they don't – and in the in classic Lynch fashion – it's odd for a second, but he, he stays that, you know, he's, he comes in and out of scenes and it's no big deal. You know, it's just that that's it. But um, it's, <laughs> it's actually an interesting character and you can see there is a lot of Twin Peaks. that sort of makes its way, I think, into the X-Files as well, at least that flavor, you know, because towards the end of Twin Peaks, as it got into its second season, it started to get a little more abstract. It almost started to introduce UFOs and things like that. And in one episode we'll talk about a little bit Don Davis from uh, from Twin Peaks, ends up in the X Files.
2: Yes, yes. But uh, that's well, yeah. If you, if you, he worked in Vancouver a lot. He was on Stargate, also. Yeah, yeah. I, I like
3: Don Davis a lot. He, but there's that scene when she first comes in, like you, when you mentioned, she knocks on the door and he comes in, and it's like she's walking into the magic cave. You know, <laughs> like he's down there with all these posters, <laughs> and it's almost it is that character from the rational world visiting this character who's in this like, you know already this fantastical universe so even though it's not a fantastical setting it's supposed to look drab and it's you get the idea that they are just buried him down there with all these files it feels a little bit like a magical place you know he's all ready to turn on the slide projector like almost instantly and start you know he, he finally gets a chance to show someone I mean, his slides
2: he, yeah he's so excited to have a friend right well like, and yeah. the, and the yeah. what
3: tommy yeah. was saying about the fact that they don't make that and you were saying too uh dave that they they allow them to be partners without a lot of the snippy back and forth. There's a little bit of that, but it's very playful. And I think that it's little scenes like that last scene where he makes a, a statement, something about, go, we're going to fly out to the, uh, you know, the not so uh, fantastical state of Oregon or something, whatever his comment is, she turns <laughs> and she looks at him. He's no longer looking at her, but she looks at him and smiles. You know, it's kind of like a moment of, of relief, like I can work with this guy. You know, you don't really see that kind of small thing, uh, which is signaling, okay, you know, she understands he's probably a, a good guy. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that other shows would have had them sparring the whole time, or tried to play up that scene that happens later, which seems like it's just so they could play in the ads where he's checking out her back. Oh no, it's it's mosquito bites. Don't worry about it.
0: <laughs> Guarantee you, they played yeah. that in the ads for sure.
1: Yeah, no, and I also think that how cool um you know Mulder is after uh Scully gets freaked out and has him check out her back, like that's the beginning of that wonderful will they or won't they um, you know, feel that goes for the whole show, pretty much oh, the whole yeah. show. Uh this is, you know this was
2: a big shipping show, right? People wanted them to get together so badly. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah, it's like I mean they do have great chemistry, but um from episode one, like he's clearly, uh, you know, treating, treating her with respect and like a friend first and, you know, and then we'll see what happens. And that's what made it so cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just two employees that earned their way there. I mean, she wouldn't be there if you know it's the FBI, geez, she must have some skills, right? Yeah.
0: She's oh yeah. A doctor of course. 25. So she yeah. Is, and I think, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, Tom. No, I was just saying, like, yeah, she's a doctor about 25. So, I mean, she's doing something right. But I think another thing that really shows in the show is, like, the amazing chemistry that they have. Like, right off the bat. Like, it's just kind of like the sparks are there right off.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I, and I think that they're, the, the little exposition that we get before they meet um, kind of qualifies them to be good judges of each other. And they both obviously pass with flying colors. Like, you know, Duchovny's this behavioral science expert and Scully's this uh, genius uh, of, you know, medical science. And clearly they like each other almost immediately. So that kind of puts the audience at ease that, yeah, maybe uh, these two are good people, you know, they're good judges of character. So, you know, let's see what happens.
2: Yeah. And he never, he never overwhelms her at first. She, uh, I, I'm, I'm almost positive they kind of ease their way into the mystery. And by the time they get to the autopsy part, he's super excited, but she's still actually investigating real clues. Like she's, she's looking at it from the scientific end, but he's not pushing the the paranormal or the, uh, the UFO in her face yet. Although he is really excited in that autopsy scene with the camera. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that's interesting when I
3: rewatch this, it's how good this, this episode is even just as a standalone thing, you know what I mean? Which is to say, let's say they had only ever made this pilot. And for whatever reason, nothing else was ever made. Even though this pilot doesn't answer all the questions and is clearly trying to set up this long end game with a mythology that's just being hinted at, it still manages to give you a solid mystery story. It gives you solid characters. It covers the horror thriller elements as well as it covers the sci-fi elements. And I feel like if this was almost like, you know, how, um, when there was just the Night Stalker movie, you know, with Darren McGavin, which is a really strong piece of like TV movie. This isn't even the full length of a TV movie, mm-hmm. but I feel like it would still, we would still be talking about this, maybe just as a, as a sort of like, a, um, you know, as a curiosity, but I still think this would hold up if there was never any more X-Files. And I think that's, what's kind of amazing because most pilots aren't like that.
2: It, it goes back to the the fully formed part. It is kind of a, is, is microcosm the right word? Like you have the alien conspiracy, they get super close, they have proof in their hand. By the end of the episode, they've lost the proof and nobody can believe them. You know, that's, that's the whole show. That's the whole series. And
3: nowadays, yeah. And nowadays when you see, you're absolutely right. Nowadays, when you see a show, usually people are quick to say, well, you know, it's more of a character driven thing or it's more of a thriller. And here it's just such a nice, balance because we've talked for several minutes now about this episode and we have and it, it, maybe it's also because of the sort of almost vague arcane nature of every mystery on the X-Files but we've talked almost nothing about the central mystery that's driving this and all about the interaction between Mulder and Scully in this episode and I think that's that's kind mm-hmm. of the genius I think of the show because you didn't have to be totally invested in the solution that comes about, because sometimes there was no solution. Even here, I think the mystery story is fine in the moment, but do I really remember it much unless I've watched this episode? No, not really. You know, it touches, but watching it was so fun to see all those touchstones, like the marks on the back and, and the little pieces of, of UFO lore, but also the fact that it just wasn't straight up a UFO story because you have that pushback from Scully and the pushback from the, the details of the story itself where it's quite clear that this could go the other way, you know, this doesn't have to be explained by UFOs entirely, you know, but there is always that unexplained element. It was fun to see Cliff the Young too show up there uh as well.
2: Oh yeah.
3: He looks eerily like Chris Carter? Which character was that? He's the uh who who uh, what is he's he's the father of the young girl but he's also who is he is he the
2: Oh, yes. I he is was Matt so familiar. I couldn't him. Yeah, the original. Yes, medical yeah, yeah. Calendar, and he
3: he yeah. comes up there while they're out in the woods, and uh, I've seen him in a ton of stuff well, before. But I think he had just been in the Tommy Knockers miniseries in that same summer before this came out. Oh, okay, okay. Well, this, this X Files always had great, great guest stars. Yeah, and I I forgot that William B Davis was right there in the first like two or three minutes of the. You know, once you you get beyond that opening, there he is, and he's just there. You know, and it, it, not enough. To,
2: so yeah. he, he had he's just hanging yeah. around. He had auditioned for the the speaking role and didn't get it. So he just uh, he must have been really memorable though because he doesn't say hardly a word. And he he's the the agent that stays for the whole series, not not the guy at the desk. Right, talking. that's the thing. And I wonder, I I don't know, and I haven't read enough
3: to know was that a thing that happened later or was that planned from the beginning that he because it's kind of genius to just have him there and then really later realize who he is to the whole the whole series
2: well with the it kind of looks like with the the raiders of the lost Stark ending there that he, he he probably was intended to be the boss but but as i said that in the trivia it says he auditioned for the he thought he would you, you know you want the speaking role i think you get paid if you talk right, right. you get paid more right. um but but it worked out for him i think
1: yeah i, I don't know if he says anything in the whole first season I, maybe correct me if i'm wrong guys well, but... i don't know about the season but not that episode Not that episode, certainly. He's like the dude in Apocalypse Now, like the CIA guy who's at the table when Martin Sheen gets the mission and he says nothing. He's just watching reactions the whole time. And just at the end, he finally says, terminate with extreme prejudice. Yes. (laughs) You
0: know, (laughs) that's awesome.
3: Yeah, it's kind of like that. Any other thoughts? Because it's like 45 minutes we've talked about (laughs) I've talked about the pilot. Any other thoughts that you guys had about the pilot um, uh, before we move on? Okay. And so that that episode airs, and then uh, now we're going to start talking about the episodes that we picked, and we'll come back at the end and kind of talk about how this overarching mythology happens. Certainly the pilot sets up this idea that we're going to be dealing with aliens, and we're going to be dealing with that government uh, deception, which was a huge thing... I do want to stop and say I, I meant to mention as we were talking about the pilot. It's kind of funny and almost refreshing to think back to that time. I was thinking, remember when the biggest things we worried about was whether the government was hiding aliens from us? You know, when we had this idea that the government was a <laughs> competent enough to have that level of subterfuge and that that would be the biggest thing. You know, and I, I'm just looking at the headlines at the same time as I'm as I'm googling some of the episodes. I'm looking at the real headlines and I'm thinking. Man, I wish we were just learning that this was all an alien invasion, you know,
2: colonization plot. Oh, my God. I Yeah, you guys yeah, have a lot yeah. going on down there. Not Can not that everybody doesn't, to... but there is... Uh, yeah, you guys are making headlines. It so ain't, for sure it ain't us here. guys. Can we go back to the alien? Well, sorry, <laughs> the, the U.S. It, it's kind of weird. I was thinking about that also watching the show, you know. When it came out, 93, I don't even remember who the president was, but this Clinton, is a lot Clinton of the... The whole basis of the show, oh Clinton, okay, cool. The, the whole the 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 crux of the show is to distrust the government and the people in charge, right? Well, then, then there was a large a big period there where that kind of ended after nine eleven, and and um, you know, ask the Dixie Chicks, but being against the government is not a good idea. But now mm-hmm. you guys have come back again, and you are in a stage where the, the X Files came back because the government seemed a little untrustworthy again, right? <laughs> Yes. It That's always, right.
0: yeah, it's a great point. It always depends on which political party you're in, I think. The X Files is always in vogue with somebody. <laughs> That's
3: right. That's <laughs> a good point. It is because so the man's always trying to get you, no matter who the man ends up being, or if it's a, it's a I man or It's there's always a yeah. the faction of that. Exactly. We appeal to everybody.
1: Yeah, no. I- yeah, no, I think you guys are right. Though it, it was a time in the United States where um, you know the sociological need for the other was turned inward at the government, not outward at uh, other societies. Like it was a time of of checking out and traveling and uh, you know adapting to new cultures um, and you know sort of trying to be assimilated by them. Um, but when you looked inward at what our own government was doing, we were still kind of reeling from the Nixon years at, you know, that, uh, that sort of betrayal and, and like, yeah, what are those government guys up to? And, you know, that they're really, they have their shit together enough to, to be planning um, things, you know, behind, behind curtains from us and, uh, and revealing it, uh, you know, slowly over the course it, of decades, like. decades, right. but decades. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah.
0: That's a pretty well-run bureaucracy. Like they—they they know what. Well,
3: doing. that's it. once I started working for the government, Where? and I realized, like, how I told people, "It's like, guys, it ain't like the X Files. Uh, we can't even get a new toilet seat." There's nothing. Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> but, like, yeah. anyway, so I guess can you can you at least get caps for your pen? You, yeah. You, you right. watch Thirty it's Rock? Can you like get caps it's... for your pen?
3: <laughs> that all is much closer. 30 Rock, and you get to Parks and right. all those, you know, that kind of stuff is probably a little closer. But anyway, let's move on to episode two, which uh, uh, Dave, you had picked as one of the episodes you wanted to talk about. Do you want to go ahead and set that episode up? It is certainly one that's very uh, pivotal, I think, to particularly this first season, but to the X-Files mythology as it moves forward.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Deep Throat, I got uh, September 17th of 93 as an air date, and this one's directed by Daniel Sackheim, and I didn't see his name come up a ton in the rest of the series. But so after being warned not to investigate a a certain avenue that Mulder is interested in, he obviously decides he wants to investigate this situation where uh, in an Air Air Force town, uh, kind of the base and town kind of run together, Pilots are coming home, and they're not exactly the same. Or they're very—they seem maybe uh, uh, struck by PTSD. Their, their their behavior is odd, and one of the pilot's wives has called the FBI to to have something done about it. She doesn't think it's actually her husband that's that's home with her. Um. So the age when the agents get to this town, they're basically starting to investigate UFOs for. Well I guess it, no they did sort of that in the pilot as well but this one is is right up front the the uh they, as soon as they get into the diner there's pictures of UFOs taken by some of the patrons and and townsfolk and uh it's it's kind of like area 51 without saying it's area 51 so the the guest in this episode Jerry Hardin, he's deep throat who turns out to be uh a friend of Mulder's an informant and uh someone at this point, you assume that is, he's on Mulder's side. Uh, I'm not sure how it ends up by the very final episode, but we'll get there. And this, this one, I, I thought it was really neat how it's, it's obviously supposed to be Area 51. I forget what the town is actually called, but there's all kinds of these, these super high-tech aircraft that may or may not have been uh, built with alien technology. A couple times during the episode, you see pictures of them or them flying around at night. One of the guests, one of uh, a neat guest star, Seth Green, playing a a typical teenager of the time. Actually, he looked a lot like I did. Yeah, back that's then. right. He kind of <laughs> tips them off. It's coming off of airborne. Yeah. At the- he tips them off to. Well, yeah, they were out basically getting high and watching all the 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 air show go by, and he's he's the the character that tells Mulder how to get inside the base so he can get a better look at what's going on. Oh yeah, they uh they start investigating and and and. Find out that it's possibly the the use of these high like the high tech aircraft that that's causing these guys like the I don't know if it's intended like the force of the G's is, is making them crack or something but they're they're coming back completely changed with no memory of what they were doing and it's possible that the government is even taking some of their memories away. Um, the more they start to investigate, they they uh, they run up against. What might be what? The men in black? They're they're not all necessarily dressed in black, but they constantly come up against forces trying to get them to stop investigating. Now, one time they're pulled over. Uh two cars kind of rush up on them, they drag them out of the car, pull the film out of their cameras, and take all their notes. There's actually a really cool line here. They they punch Mulder in the side in the gut and tell him. They better leave town, or they will. Something about they assume the consequences of intense indiscretion. I don't even know what that means, but it's a good threat. And so, as they, 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 uh, geez, I watched this a little while ago. Now, they during the investigation, somehow Mulder ends up getting captured by the government. He he sneaks into the base on his own at night, and he actually gets captured by the government. And these guys are way above the FBI, so they don't really care what he's up to he sort of has a few hours of his memory taken away. Uh, but this is also an interesting scene because Scully basically almost risks her life and her career to help get Mulder back. So she she's obviously formed a bond with him. They really trust each other. And by the end of this episode, they actually don't have any answers.
3: I think what's interesting about this is we talked about how it's almost... I feel like it really could be an alternate alternative pilot in a sense, right? The thing about the first the pilot is it was more focused on the alien mystery aspect, right? There's enough left in that show that there's the possibility of aliens. We do have some uh, human conspiracy going on, but that government level of the government controlling everything, it just seems more like the government sort of pushed Mulder down there because he's kind of nutty, right? The first episode is kind of leaving it up to that. And so we get to focus on the potential of the extraterrestrial mystery. There's a little bit of awe and wonder and close encounters ishness to it, you know, uh, or even like communion. So there's all that. And that first episode is sort of like, here's the show where you get to uh, think about the aliens and about what would happen and the mysteries of the universe. And then episode two is the, well, here's the guys that think it's all about the government, that the government's the one who's built these planes. The government's the ones trying to keep this down. And they make the case that, hey, this show could be just as interesting if it's only about the government clandestine groups and the Sutterfuge. And of course the show turns out to be about both, but you could have a pilot for shows that could be very specifically about one thing or the other. It's interesting that it's like, here's your alien mystery and here's the, here's the version where it is the government. And of course X-Files signs a way to have its cake and eat it too with, with that as it goes on.
2: That, that is how it ends, right? Yeah. The, <clears throat> some of these episodes, sorry, I watched a couple months ago, but in my notes, I did have that. It, it seemed like the, the, the government was running the show because the The wife that initially calls them in to help, she's kind of scared off by the end of the episode and doesn't even want to let them in the house, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then I do have written down, too, that uh, Deep Throat, Mulder asks him questions about what was going on, or... Oh, yeah, if they're working with the government, maybe, to help build these aircraft, and he says to him, Mr. Mulder, they have been here for a long, long time, so he must... There must... Yeah, there must... Both of the the conspiracies must be in this episode.
1: sorry. the the pilot and deep throat, the first two episodes, I think are are almost like a complete movie. I, I think that they have to be seen together because, um like you guys were saying, they they introduce sort of the the basic dynamic between, The two main characters and how they deal with going to a remote location and dealing with the local law enforcement. And they are, you know, as FBI agents, they have more clout than those guys. But then in the second episode, they meet government agents above them. And that's pretty much the dynamic of uh, that they have to, uh, you know, that uh, Mulder and Scully have to deal with for the entire series is, you know, there, there are government parts below and above them, and they have to kind of manage that inner space, uh, to get their work done. Um, but yeah, I, I loved in deep throat. I loved the, uh, I love the name of the, the first dude that uh, is returned to his wife. Um, and you know, Mrs. Budahas <laughs> like they keep saying it and I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Last, last comment, I just wanted to say that um, this episode kind of reminded me, now I know I'm going into left field here, but it kind of reminded me of an episode from Speed Racer, the cartoon from <laughs> 1967 um, called The Fastest Car on Earth. And it was basically, the basic uh, gist of that episode was that there was this car that was so insanely fast that race drivers that would get in it would be driven insane by the speed. And that that's kind of what the government's doing with these uh, reassembled UFOs. It's like they're putting pilots, like regular Earth pilots in them, and they're kind of going nuts. Uh, so really cool idea. And, um, yeah, obviously, it's a great setup for the rest of the series. Let's just make that a fact from here on out.
3: That's- just as Chris Carter was inspired by uh, Kolchik the Night Stalker, he was also inspired by Speed Racer for this specific episode. It's now canon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hashtag speed racer X Files. I think, uh,
0: and I think just one comment I wanted to make, Dave. I think you mentioned it earlier was about how at the end they didn't really solve the case, and that I feel like you know that's kind of like an X Files hallmark. Like they almost oh. never solve the cases. <laughs>
2: get get ready yet. to be frustrated. Yes,
0: <laughs> right. They never like. There's always like the bad guys always out there. The monsters still out there. Are they you know. But I kind of always liked that about it. It was like the mystery still out there to solve. So I thought that was a great point.
1: Yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder like after several seasons, is it just because that's the show or is it because the bosses uh, of the two main characters like it that way? Like they, they just want right. to know what's out there. They don't want these cases really solved. And these are the two best people to do it. Yeah. And you
3: do kind of get that. Which, the other interesting thing though, is it is a lot uh, and I, I was noting that in these episodes, a lot of these episodes do deal with Mulder and or Scully getting captured, stuck somewhere for a while, eventually being released and the government just disavowing it. And that's kind of the arc, you know, for the episode, Mulder spends as much time like locked away in a facility, trying to get his phone call as he does almost anything else.
2: Well, he's like, he's like a dog with a bone then, because he's just single-minded. He, he never, you know, after all his, they're not failures. I mean, he does, technically succeed he knows the truth he just never has the proof he never you know is like oh no miss snuffleupagus was right here you just missed him <laughs> he's always so close.
3: yeah and you do see him. that in he's some like, of the more it's in humorous theory. episodes sometimes yeah. so he'll be talking about something and then the lake monster resurfaces like four feet from him after he leaves <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good one
3: but yeah so and um Tommy or anyone else, did you guys have any other thoughts about Deep Throat this episode specifically? Okay. And then uh, move on to what I guess really – because as you pointed out, I think it was a great point, Victor. I never really thought about it because I guess I watching them, I always kind of viewed it as, oh, this is almost two shots at the pilot. But I do like the idea that it is almost like a a two-part movie in a sense that you kind of need to see both of these to get the sort of – not just the yin-yang of Mulder and Scully – but the yin yang of the government control versus the mysterious events, you know, and it's
2: well. I, and and I wanted to no, you, go I'm ahead. Sorry. You're fine. go ahead. Oh, I, I wanted to talk about it because because uh, Deep Throat that is his first appearance, and he is so kind of important to uh, Mulder on the show. I thought it was it was uh, worth talking about, but I didn't actually till yeah till Victor pointed it out. It is basically like episode one and one A, right? Yeah, I,
3: I think in a sense it is, and it sets up. But at the end of those two episodes, you you feel like you now have the the basic uh, setup for what ends up being that main story. We talked about that mythology, and with that mythology set up, then you jump right into episode three, which is uh, the the one I'm going to talk about. Uh, Squeeze, and it's funny how strong these first like. You know, we talked about the pilot strong and it's self-contained and then we have deep throat and it it furthers the world that they exist in and it furthers their relationship. And then you get to squeeze. And I think this is where if you're anyone who has seen um, the Dan Curtis, like the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler and then the eventual Kolchak show, this is the episode that probably is building most off of that concept. This episode called Squeeze, where it is the first really monster of the week episode that you get and um, it's crazy how two things strike me: how entirely weird it is as a concept, and then uh, not just yeah. how weird it is, m- effective and memorable it is as a as a thriller, just as like a horror story. It's really good. Harry Longstreet's the director here. And then you know you've got uh, Chris Carter's a writer here. Glenn Morgan is credited as a writer here. He goes on to write a lot of the episodes. He, I think, I do think he writes uh, some of the the better ones. And you still have a lot of great like interplay with Mulder and Scully. But you get and you get to see their characters um, defined. But it really is a kind of monster episode. It's scary, and it's also kind of silly when you
2: think about it. But the basics. Mm-hmm. But it's it's one of the most memorable ones. Like Tombs is this is episode yeah. three, and Tombs is one of the most remembered villains of the run. And if you run. think
3: if you're just describing it, it yep. sound it's completely kind of ludicrous. You know, they're they're called down into like <laughs> yeah. Baltimore to where this uh, you've got a, a guy in a, a an office building who is found dead in his office, and there's this opening scene, and of course that that's that very ninety shabby looking office building, which is really what a lot of you know a lot of the, even the government buildings look like uh, down in baltimore and you see him he's inside and then you see those screws turning on the vent and you see the eyes through the vent and just that imagery and that concept of here's a predator but it looks like a person and why is he in the vent i mean that stuff is so incredibly creepy and you can see early on this show doesn't have a it's got a a decent budget, but like you said, if you look at money on screen, that was happening more on Briscoe County Jr. at that point, so they had to do a lot with kind of very little, and it's again where you can see that the same kind of things that they did with the Night Stalker, uh, it was a little less successful on the television when it became just a TV series, but, but trying to film this creature in such a way that it's going to freak you out, but knowing that we can only show you so much, so you've got this idea that there's a dead body, and there's pieces of this body missing and Mulder is looking into this and Scully's looking into it with him as they start to peel back what's going on with this mystery. It goes all the way, you know, it goes 30 years ago and they find that there are similar murders and okay, that's a 30 year spread between us. And how does this killer get into a room that's completely locked? And we're already getting a feeling for that because we know that something sort of sinister and Out of the Ordinary is going on, and then uh, 30 years before that, and you go all the way back, one of the interesting things that I want to mention, I remember seeing this episode for the first time, and it was freaky, because I do live, I, I, I didn't live in Baltimore at the time I, the X-Files was first on, and even now I live sort of in the suburbs outside of Baltimore, so I'm not in Baltimore City proper, uh, where some of this takes place, but the area of, uh, the Woodlawn area where this building is, and the and honestly, the government buildings that are there still look like that inside. That shabby sort of '90s, you know, the 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 ambiance in there looks about the same. And Powhatan Mill, if you've watched this episode recently, you know they're talking that the murders go all the way back to this point when that town area was not there and the mill was there and the murders were happening in that area. That's exactly where my where, the, where I work is located where Powhatan mill used to be in an mm. office building like the one that tombs infiltrates early on so uh when i went back and did my rewatch of this uh, you know several several years ago after my wife and i got married i was working in that building and it was incredibly freaky particularly if you ended up being working there after everybody had left <laughs> and all you imagine is tombs crawling through the vent so <laughs> interesting trivia aside i'd added some creepiness to me but they eventually do realize that this is in some senses a this is what's interesting about the episode. He is a, a seemingly like a human being, but he's been living all this time eating these organs. He has what amounts to one of the grossest looking quote unquote nests I've ever seen when they finally sort of find his layer. It's really (laughs) disgusting. And then the idea that he can twist and contort and move his body in a, in a very snake like transforming way through the, the vents is extremely creepy and all of this could be silly but for a couple things, we talked about the performances of Mulder and Scully. Doug Hutchinson is incredibly creepy. He may—he seems like he could be incredibly creepy in real life, honestly. But he's incredibly creepy in this episode. This episode and then another one later on in the same season. Uh, and he doesn't—he also doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Does he? Ha- does he even have much of any dialogue
2: in this episode? It's been a, a couple months. He, he, he talks a bit during the uh, the, the polygraph test, yeah, but not a lot. Him.
3: And uh, so his performance here is what's really creepy. And those shots again—you can't, you don't have the special effects, and it's probably better that you don't to show him. You know, you get a couple of funny shots where they're trying to do some camera trickery to make it look like his arm is stretching out there. But you, uh, the eyes—just those eyes staring through the grate—and his his inflections uh, throughout the episode are what make it really creepy. And then Donald Logue shows up too, you know, looking trim and fit, actually. And uh, it's funny, like it, – it, it, but it yeah. helps tie in that here's a guy that knew Mulder back in the day, and you have some of that interplay. So you're building these character histories. But the way that, that Mulder and Scully work in this episode, this is really where you've got something – that's almost m- more concrete than they've had the two episodes of this is supernatural, but it's outside this, you know, he talks about aliens all the time, but here's something that is both it's supernatural, but is it just paranatural? You know, is it just, is it just an element of science that they don't completely understand? And that's kind of where Scully has her like inroad in that episode, but it's one of my favorites. It's so creepy, but it's a compelling story too.
2: It's a great one. I, I do. You're right. Uh, um, yeah, supernatural is not the right word, but it's it's funny the interaction between the two leads and Donald Logue as the other FBI guy. <clears throat> they're presented with facts and or evidence. They sift through the evidence to to find clues and come to conclusions. Like he's he's just being, Mulder and Scully are just being honest about the evidence and, and coming to their conclusions. But it is just, you know, left of normal. Donald Logue... he can't even hear it. He won't accept. There's no way spooky Mulder is going to catch a killer that I'm on the trail for, you know, like he just won't look at the facts.
1: Yeah, it was, it's great. I I mean, I think the, the, how much they pack into 60 minutes or, you know, 45 minutes or whatever, however long the episodes are is, is just amazing. It, it, it fills it out perfectly. Like just, hunting tombs is not quite enough to make the whole episode exciting but with uh you know log in there sort of maneuvering against um mulder for his own good uh that just makes it exciting and you know makes the uh the final act uh <laughs> really interesting but uh, yeah i love this episode too i'm so glad you you chose it nathan um you know i i love mystery fiction and I I think that the initial idea for this episode probably was the uh, the old murder in the locked room, um, you know, scenario that, you know, you've seen like, uh, you know, Gaston LaRue, the mystery, of the yellow room or Agatha Christie's and then there were none. Um, or yeah. Poe, you know, the merge in the room or It's like, well, there's a dead body in this room and there's no way anybody could have gotten in. So how the hell did this happen? Except of course it's the X-Files. So, you know, it's, a it's absolutely the, the most ridiculous the possibility
3: style. available.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, so, that's the great but, part for the writing team, right? They get to, oh, let, you want to try that Agatha Christie one. Okay. Well, how could we get in the room? Let's do whatever we want. Exactly.
1: But the way, the way they kind of get to the next step is, you know, Mulder obviously is so <laughs> astute to all these weird phenomena that he decides to dust the vent and he comes up with that really creepy long fingerprint, which oh, is yeah. that image is so insane. Like I, that I, it, it's, a classic episode just for that moment. I, I love And then they use
2: that great computer technology to, um, uh, compress and stretch the fingerprint so that it matches. That's a pretty good point. Yes.
1: Yeah. yes.
3: So Tommy is a nine-year-old. What did you think about this episode when you first saw it?
0: Oh geez, man, this was this one—it it horrified me to that day. So I know we're going to talk about another episode soon. So I don't know—I think I don't think I saw this in the first season because I didn't start X Files until a couple episodes later. But I watched it in reruns, you know, as I got a little bit older, and it's still like I remember it to this day. I didn't get to rewatch it, but I've seen it many times. I remember specifically a couple of things you guys said about the eyes staring out of the vent, specifically. And I don't know if it's this episode or the one that comes in later um, where uh, Tooms is like stretching out of either a vent maybe or something. Is that this episode? Or is that the one that comes later in the season?
2: I think it happens in this.
0: I think maybe he does it like multiple times probably. But like I remember it specifically because it's so like horrifying that and I think you guys nailed it right on the head. Like it's so cool how like right off the bat the x-files is not afraid to just go super weird like (laughs) how weird is this episode where like they got this guy who could stretch and like murders people and he does it every 30 years and it's like the third episode in the series so it's not like they were afraid of like it was almost like chris Carter was like you know guys this is our show let's just let our freak flag show and like they did it and i yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, sorry, I was going to say, I think, yeah, the, the the luxury of being on Fox, uh, a newish network with not a lot of hits.
0: Yeah, they were like, Wh- whatever you guys want, let's just do it. Uh, we don't even think you're going to survive because we got, you know, Bruce <laughs> Jr., That's our big it's Bruce hit.
3: Campbell, he's going to be big. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but Bruce, Bruce, but, you know, this episode is, like you guys said, it's one of the great episodes, I think, in the entire series run. Um, and it's truly one of the best monster of the week because it has such a great monster in it.
3: And I feel like what was so important that they do, because they're dealing with this tried and true uh, UFO lore, right? So what happens in the first episode with the abductions and then the, the marks and then the second episode with the lights in the sky and the possible, like, government stealth planes, all of that is based off a of very obvious and well, even at that point, well-trod, like, existing lore and mythology and here this this creature and what he does is kind of a wholly original invention his murders and these reappearing murders they're things that we've kind of seen in the world of urban legends and stuff but he's original and so it kind of reinforces the idea that yeah we're going to give you some of the stuff you know but we're not afraid to we're, we, we we haven't just given you a vampire or a werewolf right off the bat well we'll save those a few episodes you know but we're going to give you this creation which is a merger of those things it does the same it fills the same spot the werewolf or the vampire would have and that was kind of one of the honestly the issues with the um Colchak series was that he ended up fighting some very by the number. You could say, Oh, here's the witch. Here's the werewolf. You know, it was not unlike Scooby-Doo in that sense. The other thing is the, the weirdest thing. Here's what this reminded me of when I first saw it. And I, again, I'm just going into high school when I saw this years ago, many, many years ago, it was like in elementary school. And I remember reading, I think Beverly Cleary wrote a series of books about Ramona, you know, a little girl. And she has a big imagination. It's, I know it's just so weird and such a deep cut, but she, she would have these random, uh, moments where she would be afraid of a boneless gorilla that would crawl through her vents and come out into her room and it was supposed to be something silly in this little book about a little girl that you know then i'm reading it and i'm freaked out because i'm imagining this boneless gorilla and then later on to see tombs i'm like it's the same it's the same concept see that's that's disturbing
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's pretty scary well I'm just picturing this black furry mass of muscle crawling towards me kind of angrily. Right. Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) So we can move on. Uh, Victor, you're next.
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, well, I wanted to talk about one of my favorite episodes from the first season, um, fallen angel. It's episode 10. Uh, it aired in 1993 and, um, it was written by Howard Gordon, uh, who went on to do 24 homeland. And, and I think he did Buffy, the vampire slayer also. Um, but anyway, this guy knows genre fiction and, um, this is a UFO mythology episode where there is a crash of what is revealed to the viewer to be an alien spacecraft, or at least the military thinks it is. And, um, This dude uh, is, um, I I didn't write down his name, but, um, uh, oh, Marshall Bell. Marshall Bell co-stars in this. One of the many great stars, (laughs) co-stars that you mentioned, um, who was in uh, Good Versus Evil and uh, Total Recall and and a bunch of other great projects. But he is the sort of... bad slash neutral general who uh, is working for the military and just wants to recover the alien crash parts so the government can do whatever they do with it. And of course, um, Mulder wants to find out the truth and and publicize it. So he goes to personally investigate the site. And (laughs) once again, (laughs) he is captured. And uh, uh, I'm not going to spoil everything about the episode, but he is basically, uh, Mulder is thrown into a cage with another dude um, uh, named Max Fenig, uh, who is sort of a conspiracy nut and, and he's kind of similar to Mulder in that he believes a lot of the same things and has been following Mulder's career, like Mulder's some sort of... Uh, you know, cult rock star, um, of of the of the you know un of undiscovered phenomena, and um, and uh, so he's he's a bit uh, Max is sort of a a groupie almost of of Mulder, and uh, you know, the the interplay between Max, which is sort of, it seems like he's an early experiment of the lone gunman, um, you uh, know, yeah. is. <laughs> yeah yeah he's sort of you know a, a, a sort of shabbily dressed, like he basically looks like I looked like like when I was watching the show um <laughs> and uh and um and basically together they're like, yeah, maybe there is something here, and um there is uh, you know a creature that is <laughs> brilliantly shot in in evil dead cam, you know, with like the point of view of a low a creature that's low to the ground kind of running around. Um, you know the the astronaut of the downed alien aircraft, right? Uh, and um, the the military is trying to corral it, and eventually this all comes to a head where um, you know S- S- Scully comes to the rescue, uh, and it's revealed that there is a government cover up with a Libya a downed Libyan uh, fighter jet, and um, and and basically they they start to piece together that yeah there is a cover up and there is a second cover up on top of that. Uh, because this is so important and uh, they finally get all their heads together and try to try to solve the crime um but uh yeah very very cool episode uh it moves really well all the way through uh and um yeah all i can say is it kind of reminded me of the of the movie gorgo from <laughs> 1961. we have the best comparisons In that, to things the, on the show just, yeah. I mean, I, I think that the writers may have seen Gorgo and it was at least in their unconscious mind because the the basic, basic plot is the same. Like it's, you know, an alien spacecraft with a, with an alien astronaut crashes in Gorgo. It's not revealed until the last act that this creature that's been menacing the city <laughs> is actually a baby. And, and then the mother comes and it's really pissed off. And that's kind of what happens at the end of this episode is the Other aliens come to collect the original astronaut with, uh, you know, mixed results. But in any case, you have to watch the episode to get the whole story. It's kind of complicated. Sorry I went on for a while. Um, But uh, anyway, really, really cool stuff. And.
3: I always like just I imagine that this it. is what would happen if E.T. had crashed near a military base and that the underneath that cam- load of the ground camera, it's just E.T. running around
1: through the underbrush. Yes, totally. <laughs> E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind were definitely style guides for this one. This one felt a lot to me like an Outer Limits episode almost. Like if you were to
3: remove the Mulder and Scully elements and and in, like you said, like that that gorg and it had that older style of a science fiction story that I really appreciate because X-Files would do that. They would take an older slice of science fiction and mix it with the tabloid stuff that they would do from time to time.
2: Yeah. This one really shows how how caring and uh, sympathetic Mulder is too, because this is... I, I can't remember if he dies or if he's having a seizure, but Mulder comes into the trailer or something at some point and finds Max kind of... Uh, shaking or something and he he, like he sticks around he holds him he he takes care of him for a second he he you know i I don't know that i don't know that a scene like that would even be included in a lot of shows but especially back then it wasn't super manly to uh to behave that
1: way you know your heroes didn't do that a lot in the 90s i thought it was really sweet. yeah yeah, no. One of the things that's so cool about Mulder is that he he is cynical and um, you know sort of hard edged against the government, but they keep showing you in episodes like like this, like you just described, that uh, he does have a heart and that he's really in this to help people, uh, and that's important.
0: So one thing about the episode that I was just looking up because I hadn't I didn't get a chance to rewatch this one either. But I was ju- I was kind of thinking to myself I was laughing as I was looking at the plot. It talks about how. Dana Scully comes in and talks about how they're going to shut down the X Files. I guess that's they're they're going to do that in the beginning of the episode. She talks about it, and it kind of makes me think like, how many times do they do that in the show? Like they're about to shut down the X Files because of something going on, and then they're like, "Well, all right, guys, we're not going to shut it down. We're going to keep it open, but we're going to shut. We we might shut it down."
1: Yeah, I think you're right, Tommy. This this might be the first time they threaten that. Um, although, yeah, it becomes uh, more of a thing later, later even this season. <laughs> right. <later> than, yeah. <laughs> like, um, I think
0: that's usually, sorry, that's usually like a, a season finale. It's like, well, it's it's done. It's shut down. I think,
1: I
2: think it was a season finale once. I, I, said, I, 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 I was going like to say, I that happened more than once.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh and I just
1: wanted to say last thing about fallen angel I just wanted to say um yeah the the composer um you know really played this card close to his vest, but um there is a musical theme when the alien astronaut point of view is running around uh, which is sounds kind of like a, a submarine sonar it's like <laughs> being and he uses that again and again in in the series, at least in season one um, whenever aliens are afoot so I oh, okay. uh, yeah, oh, wow. love that.
2: That's, That's a great Mark poem. Mark Snow who does the yeah. composing for this series. Mark he did Snow all, awesome. he did Millennium and the Lone Gunman as well.
0: And he has such like a unique sound. Like it's almost like I've never heard anybody kind of recreate his sound for a show or a movie. Um, and it, it's still, it's I always think back to that. He, he's kind of one of the important elements to the show, I think.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's subdued. It's quiet. It's not uh, it's not an overpowering soundtrack although man that the opening score is he was really gold. good at that because <laughs> that score is amazing yeah. but then so Iconic. is the
3: millennium theme is really great too like i like millennium but even if you didn't like it, it it's good too at, le- at least look up the score like like the intro on youtube it's a good it's a very like violin i feel like later they kind of did uh the theme for the tv show angel sort of took uh, some some cues from that oh yeah yeah
0: Nice. Yeah, Millennium's like a darker oh my gosh, darker actually
3: much darker if you can believe that.
0: Very dark. Yeah, it gets like dark, dark. Yeah, it's, it's good actually. So, right? and,
3: and Terry O'Quinn yep. was on several of the episodes too, yeah.
0: That's when Fox gave Car- Chris Carter like carte blanche because he had that show. Then he created another show.
3: Yeah, Is it mm-hmm. Harsh
0: Realm, I think he created, yep. which actually wasn't that bad either.
3: Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, a fun episode. So where are we now? Are we back to you, Dave, I believe?
2: Uh, sure, that's fine. Uh, okay, my next episode I picked is Ice. Um, and it happens to air on November 5th, 1993. I only bring that up because that's my birthday and I turned 18. That's awesome. So Dave. I'm going to assume that since in Quebec that's legal drinking age, I probably didn't <laughs> see this episode the first time it aired. <laughs> So in reruns, uh, this is, this is uh, I, I love this one. It's a great, this is the X-Files does the thing or, um, sorry, Nathan or Victor. What the, the original book is called? Oh, Something who goes out there? there? Who goes there? Yeah. It's, oh, this is kind of that right. story mm-hmm. uh, with some great, great guest stars. This one has, um, oh, also I wanted to mention you guys have brought them up a couple of times. This one's written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong and they, they, they did a lot of the great episodes, and I think they even go on to do uh Final Destination, I yeah, think, and, right?
3: and Willard, I believe. Yep. Yeah, the Willard yeah, remake, I stuff. think.
2: Oh, yes, yes. And and uh, if you brought since you brought that up, Glenn Morgan directed the uh first remake to Black Christmas. You, you I, I don't hate like that movie. More. Oh, I like, okay, like <laughs> Anyways, this one has some great guest stars. Xander Berkeley and Felicity Huffman. Uh, Jeff Kober, if you guys don't recognize that name, he was the killer in The First Power. And uh, Kenny Banya, yeah. Steve <laughs> Heitner's in this episode.
1: <laughs> That's
2: right. <laughs> I killed. <laughs> the, best, the best. Anyways, this is, I, I don't know that I have to go through the whole story. The uh, um, Someone contacts Mulder and... Uh, there's some investigating to do up in the Arctic. People have disappeared. It, there's a great cold open where, where two characters, the two, well, there's two characters. You don't know they're in the Arctic necessarily at first, but they're hunting each other through this laboratory set, and uh, they basically kill themselves in the cold open. It's it's kind of dark and violent. It's a really good one. And then uh, you get into the episode proper. Mulder's tipped off to the investigation. I think they actually get this one through through proper channels, like the... The government wants to know what happened to their people up at their resort, or resort, <laughs> research facility, sorry. And as they get, they get going up there, they have about a three-day window, they're told. And of course, once they get up there, there's a storm coming in. Uh, the pilot is the first to go. So now we're all trapped in the Arctic with um, something that's come out of ice cores. They, they The team that was up there was drilling, uh, I believe, like 240, 40 million years down into the ice looking for whatever we do when we're drilling into the ice for stuff. And they found uh, a parasite instead of, well, I was going to say instead of an alien, but it is probably still an alien uh, because there there's uh, allusions to the drilling site being possibly in a meteor crater. Um, anyways, these parasites infect people very quickly. Just like in the thing, there's a dog that kind of starts it off and this one is, is is tight, it's tense, it's paranoid. Uh, all of the actors in this are, are really good. It's um, it's it's a really good one. It's fun, tense. Yeah, I, I, I like it a lot.
0: Yeah, Dave, I just got to jump in here real quick because I know this was actually the very first episode I remember seeing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, on a Friday night, and I remember just kind of coming in, and, and I still remember to this day that like it just hooked me because it was so different. And like anything that you'd seen on like network TV. It was like scary and you know, it had such mood and tension. And I've rewatched it so many times. It's it's really one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Because like you, you yeah, like you guys said, it has the thing, basic plot structure with the X-Files twists onto it. And I was just looking it up, and of course, you mentioned that it has Glenn Morgan and James Wong who wrote it, who are kind of some of the the A team of the X Files, I consider, and then David Nutter directed it. Who you know, who's really one of their great directors, and of course has gone on to direct Game of Thrones episodes, and he's a fantastic director now. And I think it would be hard pressed for anybody to watch this, even if they don't like you know science fiction or whatever, and not enjoy this episode because it is so tight, like you mentioned.
2: Yeah, th- this one could. Well, the, uh, I guess television did that a lot. I mean, th- these episodes can stand on their own, but. Yeah, I I think because the the structure is kind of familiar, especially to genre fans, you could just pluck this episode out of the season and watch it as a little 45-minute movie without the rest of the series around it.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And it's kind of funny, too. It's got a lot of humor in it. In the beginning, when they meet... uh, Xander Berkeley is one of the scientists they meet at the airport, and he doesn't trust any. He wants to see everybody's ID. He's got to see the FBI's ID. And then the pilot... I, I. I don't remember what he says but it basically tells him to fuck off i'm not showing you my id <laughs> and then later on even there's a scene where they're they, they've got to uh actually it's funny this one is a little bit like um but th- there's a scene where they have to check each other not for you know like uh uh sculder check <laughs> sorry sculder <laughs> Mulder checked scully earlier in the season there the, the guys are all in a room it's the arctic uh, so they're getting undressed, and Mulder says, I want to remind you, uh, we are in the Arctic here, so no judging.
3: <laughs>
2: <All right. laughs> oh, great.
0: Fox is always um, funny. He, has that he, he, he gets lines in Claire's. there
3: I, all the time, and, then yeah, you, I, and you think, wow, they kind of slid that one through. I, I don't remember. Many seasons later, It and one of those guys is fighting him. He says, I could, I could beat you with one hand. And Mulder says, I thought that's how you beat yourself. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> wow, you got that one through
2: there. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> but, I, there's another, there's a, there's another great scene and line combo I, I really like in this episode, and it is some great acting by, um, uh, Julian uh, Anderson. Sorry, she's like she's shaking, her lips are trembling, she's sweating, uh, she's got a gun pointed at Mulder. It's in, you know, it's in the section where uh, none of them trust each other. And she keeps repeating to him. I think it's what the guys were saying at the beginning. You, you might not be who you are. You might not be who you are. And they're locking him up. And he says, um, in here, I'll be safer than you. I just love that line. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I really, I I just want to put this in context that, um, people didn't think the thing was the greatest movie of all time back in 1993. Like, it it was 10 years old. It was a complete failure at the box office. I think probably by now it was starting to gain traction on home video. But um, only people that were really into genre stuff were like, yeah, the thing's a masterpiece. So to to see this episode on the X-Files, like on broadcast TV, was huge. Like It was like, oh, vindication. Like, you know, writers that are working in show business saw the thing and loved it and are doing an homage. You know, it was a big deal. See that's something
2: that always comes up. I always forget I, again in ninety three uh, if the internet was there I, I didn't have access to it but uh you know as a as a a young horror fan and and a special effects gorehound the thing uh, how could that not have been a blockbuster? I just always loved it, but I don't that's something I didn't even realize until I got the internet that there what there was a time when people didn't know this was a classic.
3: Or that's when you realize other people did love things like the evil dead as much as you did, you know, (laughs) it's interesting because you're right. Like, and uh, weird thing to remember in 93 is like, even the uh, experience of going to the movies was so different at that point in time, in terms of what was playing in the theaters, because this is essentially like a very tight little B movie, you know, that is obviously homaging the thing, but in Towards the end of this year and into the next year, because this is ninety three to ninety four, you know this is airs in ninety three, but season one is ninety three to ninety four. You get um, a new version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, just called The Body Snatchers, the same year, and then you get um, hmm. Einlines, The Puppet Masters with Donald Sutherland, which are both doing very similar things to this episode. And yet, I would argue that this episode's stronger than those two movies. I, there's things I like about them, but I, you know, what's interesting is how tight it is. At this time period, you were getting movies like Warlock, the Armageddon, and Ticks and all these things we think of as just straight to, to DVD things or video. They were opening in theaters, and so the gulf, oftentimes, between what you saw on television and what you would see at a theatrically released movie was a lot bigger than this. And then to see this just airing on television at the same time and be like, Wow, that I would pay to go watch that in a theater. Like that this episode, I think, stands to me. This is probably the strongest episode of season one. Like if I were to say, even though it is using a pre-existing source, it just, it's so tense. It's so well constructed and it Mm -hmm. takes all the things you love about the show. And it, it, it makes a nice tight little movie out of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, maybe part of the reason that the movie has been made a few times like this and the invasion of the body snatchers that you brought up. They are tight, really, you know, scary stories. They're very good and they're easy to redo. You know, the the paranoia aspect of both those stories is uh, timeless. Like you can just keep remaking them.
3: Yeah, and it takes that paranoia that we've seen with paranoia of the government, paranoia of the world at large, and then the paranoia from within, you know, Victor, you were talking earlier about the fear of the other, and then here's the fear of the other, but also the fear of the the contamination from within, which does explain why body snatchers and some of those alien stories were so big in the 50s, in the heyday of, you know, the Red Scare and of communism and things like that, and you've got a little bit of that playing out here in a sort of different dynamic, but yeah, I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah and- fear of loss of individuality like foreshadowed by the the ID showing scene at yes. the <laughs> end.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. And also, I don't think like it never this kind of plot structure never fails, I feel like when you take, you know, your characters into another setting like the the arctic usually and like isolate them and they can't escape and they've got this, you know, creature or whatever it is, like after them. It's just such a good setup. It's really hard to make that bad. So they've already kind of they've got such a good setup, and then they added all these other elements, which makes it such a good episode.
3: Yeah, I I, I agree, and I think it's um it's uh one of the I think it, it best only because in my mind, like it's one that pops right into my mind. It was it was very scary to see, you know when it was first uh, it was first released. So the next episode I have, I'm trying to make sure I have the right order here, will be episode, I think it's episode 11, and it is called Eve. And uh, this one's, to me, this is, it, it's an interesting episode because it is not a mythology episode, and yet it manages to move into all the elements of the government being sort of... Uh, out to get you a little bit but it also really starts to um it, it really brings in science fiction elements that we we see other places later but when we're seeing it here it's a uh, it all feels a little a little original and so the, the the plot here you've got right up front you've got the whole mystery element you have two you start with the the death of a man he's dead in his his yard, his daughter is there when it happens, and he's sort of like, he's got puncture holes in his neck, his blood is drained, and yet they immediately eschew any kind of thought of this being a vampire or something. You know, 11 episodes in, we have had uh, ice, we have had uh, the tombs, and so we've seen that there are monsters and creatures that exist in in this universe, and they eschew that completely, and they take it right to the cattle mutilations, which I thought was interesting, because Initially seeing that, his blood drained and the marks, I didn't think cattle mutilation, but then about a minute later, there's Mulder with his again, he's got his handy dandy slideshow up, and he's talking about the cattle mutilations. <laughs> the one thing I want to mention I thought was a little odd is you know, the fact that Scully seems to not really know that there has this sort of uh phenomena of the cattle mutilations or at least it seems that way she seems like she just learns about it in that moment like she glances a paper what says here i mean it just i feel like all the like ufo lore that you sort of heard leading up to that before the x-files ever aired that the cattle mutilations were always sort of part of it but but maybe not it just seemed odd that she's seen all these things she's been hanging with Mulder this long and she's like cattle mutilations tell me more but uh you know (laughs) but then It becomes apparent there's another person, the same kind of death, and happens, and now this is 3,000 miles apart, and then the really weird kind of creepy thing is that they have identical daughters. Their daughters look exactly the same. And so Mulder and Scully start following these threads, and the story, this is one I don't even want to spoil too much, because I think it really is kind of fun to watch, because it is an episode, I wouldn't say most of the episodes we've talked about have had anything in the way of a real, like twist something that that really kind of changes the dynamic of the story and that does happen here you get into things that go all the way back to the cold war you obviously you're getting a vibe uh that something strange is going on here with the fact that both girls look the same Then we meet another woman uh who you know there's a point when they kind of get abducted and you're not sure what's happening with that and where this goes and you have these the characters of the eves and 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 who the eves really are and I will point out too. I didn't really real or not that I realized. I think I knew, but then had forgotten. Watching this again, and it became clear when they started talking about different Eves, and you have a character who sh- shows up, and her name is Eve Six. You know, and then I realized, oh, this is the, the where the band, you know, the, the the rock band got their name, the Eve Six. So uh, yeah. th- that's kind of fun. But I think this is a really strong episode because it's very creepy. I think that you've got you know the kids are creepy, but you also have. Um, that Harriet Harris, who plays uh, the adult these these adult women that look identical, that the Eves and particularly Eve Six, she's really good because she's oh, she's playing one character that you have a lot of sympathy for, but then she plays the Eve Six is unhinged <laughs> to uh, to an excessive degree. She's telling something. She's telling uh, Mulder or, or Scully, one of them, about something she did while she was uh, you know in, in the lockup there, and you're just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> this is this is so dark and this whole episode is very dark I feel like it's a lot darker and a little more twisted than the show had been up until this point and it it ends on a on a on a, a note that's a lot more ominous than the, most of the other episodes
2: hmm. yeah and if I remember this is another one where uh, we as the audience know the solution but I does any do do they solve this officially or do they just basically...
1: Don't remember uh, the yes, ending. I,
2: I, I, so the ending, I, I I might be mixing it up with a different episode where the does the government basically steal the doctor back to continue? What's the going doctor
3: on? dies. I, uh, I, I, yeah, but oh, what happens okay. is uh, the the little girls. You, you don't. I think that the final kind of twist is that the girls. I don't know that Mulder and Scully learned this. The girls essentially they are. Uh, evil so to speak you know that they are malicious and they are they haven't simply been victims and then one of the eves i believe it is uh uh eve eight shows up there like you you get the impression that she's there to kind of bust them out to take them away and they she says how did you know i was coming and they're just like well we knew or we know and so there's this creepy feeling that these characters which again it, we're kind of spoiling this at this point so you know it mentioned you know there's this aspect of these clones that they are linked somehow and so uh yeah that that ending and I will go back and put a little more of a more defined spoiler here in case people want to see the the, the episode first. But yes, the, the the ending essentially, which I don't know that Mulder, I can't remember if Mulder and Scully are aware of, is that these little girls aren't as aren't simply innocent sort of uh, victims of the situation.
2: Okay, yeah, maybe do put a spoiler warning there because this is uh, if you don't know what's going on, this is a fun one to to watch. Yeah, especially not knowing.
1: Yeah, it's one of the one of my favorite episodes, definitely. Well, I mean, all the all the episodes that we picked to to talk about today were, you know, th- th- those are definitely my top nine um, of the of season one. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to say for any fans of Frasier listening to the show, um, Harriet uh, Harris is uh, BB, the agent in in Frasier, who's awesome in that show.
2: She she is. She's uh, she gets to you know chew a lot of scenery and be really big in Frasier. And she what does it here that? again in a different way. So yes. I, I'm kind of, I've only ever seen her. The only other thing I've ever seen her in is the Adams Family sequel. And uh, that's kind of too bad because she probably could have played a hell of a villain. Yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> totally. yeah. She kind of does here <laughs> a little bit, so.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, basically. But she could have, you know, she could have, she could have been scary in something.
3: Yeah, definitely. Tommy, do you have any thoughts on this one? Do you remember this one? Well, you know, I'm trying to think. Actually, I don't know
0: if I've seen this one. So the first season is probably the one that I haven't seen every one. I thought I did, but there's probably a few that I haven't. So I've not seen this one. Uh, you guys Yeah, sorry about that. Me, well, So yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. But it sounds really good, and I'm reading the reviews right now. It says it's really good. So I'm going to go back and watch this one. So I'm really glad you guys picked this because it's one of those that's like, I don't think I would have thought about picking this one to to watch or kind of review, but it's one of those that's kind of like flew under the radar. It sounds really excellent.
2: Well, if, if you want to check it out, too, and, and listeners out there, <clears throat> I watched my DVD, obviously, but uh, the whole series is on Amazon Prime.
3: Oh, wow. is it? and I'm not Perfect. sure it's yes, funny. This happens to Bill and I a lot. I'm not sure if it's on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be Canada lucky here. I'm not oh. certain though cuz they were on Amazon Prime okay. for a while. They may be. I do know though that they are on Hulu. That's where
2: I was. I
0: I think Okay. You know, I think they're on Hulu they, right they now. Definitely oh, are. They definitely are. That has to be over yeah. there.
2: Yeah, cuz that's Disney owned and they own Fox now, right? So that's Yeah. That's, that's right. why I, I was disappointed that I didn't get the X-Files on my Disney Plus, but it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where they are. They're on Hulu. Well, right it was now. on Nip
3: it
0: was on Netflix for a long time i remember yes. and then they i guess that's yes. when they switched it and
2: okay. and i'm i'm
3: checking it out now that for sure but so yeah i i think it's it's an episode that doesn't necessarily pop into my mind as like one of the penultimate ones but when i go back when i went back and rewatched the 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 first season i was like oh this is a really good it's very well written it's very creepy and it does give it, it's uh yeah it looks like here in the in the States that you kind of have to currently buy it on uh, Amazon, but that it is on, I know I just did today on Hulu. It is on Hulu. If you have a Hulu subscription, it's on there. So the next episode, Victor, I'll turn it over to you.
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, I was, uh, one of my favorite episodes from the season is uh, episode 21, which is just called tombs. And uh, it's the, sequel to squeeze which was episode three so you have to wait all the way till episode 21 to see the next um episode of eugene victor tombs and um yeah i think this may be the first episode with skinner in it i don't know if maybe you guys can correct me if i'm wrong i am uh,
2: actually on wikipedia right now yeah featured Miss, mitch peleggy's first appearance um, so, and that's, he's
1: that's important. He, yeah, he's tremendous, right out of the box. Like, oh, yeah. you know, Scully is... At this point, they have gone off book for many adventures. And of course, as a viewer, you're like, good, you know, I want to see the great unknown. But uh, this episode is kind of a down-to-earth type thing where... Uh, <laughs> Scully gets hauled into upper management and they're like, look, you know, you need to reel in Mulder because he is out there doing crazy stuff and you've got to present a scientific perspective. Like we need proof. We need this to be driven by, you know, the, the regular detective method that we use at the FBI. And, uh, you know, it's like <laughs> the twin peaks, the return, this is what we do in the FBI. <laughs> uh, but but uh but skinner is just a comes across as a perfect father figure for scully and um that is developed way more later in the series and the the actor that plays him um is just perfect at showing that he's under a lot of corporate pressure to reign in these two agents but he also is interested in what they're doing um, by his responses. And of course, you know, Scully is a little too smart for him or, or what he's used to. So he immediately loses control of the dressing down interview and she starts questioning him. And eventually he ends it on, uh, you know, very uh, amicable terms and, you know, sort of casts her into the world again. And this is the day that Toombs. Who has been in an asylum this entire time since the squeeze episode is being released to the the, the cognizance of this uh, psychiatrist who thinks he knows what's best for <laughs> for tombs and everybody, and of course doesn't believe he's a, a non-human creature um, that uh, feeds on on people's livers every thirty years. Uh, but uh, in any case, the the fun begins when tomb is released. tombs is released to um, to to basically a foster home and um uh man this yeah you guys were talking earlier about how tombs is sort of a you know an amalgam of a werewolf and a vampire that's sort of been reimagined for the modern age uh and this is totally the blueprint for Stephen King's Outsider i, I mean both of these episodes but especially yes. tombs yeah. because the there is an old detective in um in tombs who was hunting the character tombs years ago, but now he's almost dead. Like he's in a wheelchair. He's, uh, you know, 70, 80 years old. And um, Scully and Mulder talk to him um, with the evidence they have. And they, they all come to a consensus that, yeah, this is what's happening. Like this is a, an immortal creature that, uh, that does this every 30 years. And uh, that's exactly what the premise is in The Outsider, Uh, And the follow-up novella that I just read uh, by Stephen King um, called uh, If It Bleeds. Um, And that's exactly what happens. Like the, the, the characters from The Outsider come into contact with people that have been following The Outsider for many years. And these guys are at the end of their lives, but they're happy to finally come across some young people that believe that this creature exists. Um, but in any case, I, I'm a huge fan of, of the Stephen King stories and of this X-Files episode. So uh, there's a great line where, uh, you know, th- there's uh, the, the tombs uh, hearing of, you know, whether he should be released again. And of course, Mulder lays all the facts way too soon on the, on the, uh, the judges <laughs> and they uh, basically laugh him out of the, the courtroom. And uh, he kind of wisecracks to Scully, do you think I should have worn the gray suit? You know, would they have believed me then? And um, uh, later in the series, I know there's a point where they are threatening to dismantle the X-Files once again, his bosses, and he actually (laughs) is wearing the gray suit, you know, proving that, you know, this is the important, most important moment. Uh, But uh, in any case, uh, yeah, great, great episode with tombs on the loose and Mulder is sort of... Shadowing him like um, like Dirty Harry is following the Scorpio killer in 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 (laughs) in Dirty Harry, uh, and just waiting for him to screw up. Uh, And of course, eventually he does. He he goes through a bunch of uh, tombs, goes through a bunch of uh, maneuvers to try to feed on some livers, (laughs) some tasty livers, and it all comes to tasty livers. a, A a really creative uh, gory climax at a mall uh, with an escalator uh, that uh, you know anybody who's rid- ridden an escalator as a child knows that those those teeth those metal teeth look really dangerous <laughs> and they're still warning me against them
3: uh, yes and they prove why
1: yeah. in this episode there's <laughs>
3: whoever's a- on the other side of that escalator it's basically like looking at the Play-Doh play factory you know when it comes up <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, and this was—you uh, guys mentioned these guys before, but um, yeah, I, I think this is a uh, uh, a Glenn Morgan, James Wong joint, and uh, yeah, the, you can see like where the final destination, um, you know, creativity in the in the kills in that in that movie, uh, sort of started in in these episodes. But in any case, uh, one of the great great episodes, and highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, I would just attest to everything you said there, Victor, that this is another excellent episode in the first season. And um, they brought their A team once again because David Nutter directed that episode again, I think, also. So mm. it really shows that, you know, I just think those are some of the best that they had producing those episodes. Another really interesting thing about this episode is that. You know, they do something. They do this at least one other time, I believe, is that, you know, you have tombs in the beginning of the season and then they bring them back at the end, towards the end of the season. And I wonder if that was like the plan from the get go of that character or if they realized in the first episode, you know, with him in it, that he was such a good villain. They wanted to bring him back, but they do it again. I don't know if you all remember the episode Pusher where the, the villain reads, can, can manipulate people's minds and mm-hmm. pushes them to commit like murder or whatever. They do that same thing where they bring him back again into kind of, you know, they don't kill him off in that episode, but they bring him back in a later episode. So I just mm-hmm. think that's a really cool thing they did is like, when they know they've got a really great villain, don't kill him off. Let's bring him back for another episode
1: yeah, I, I don't I can't believe how good these scripts are towards the end of season one. I mean, you guys have to keep in mind, uh, you know, there's 24 episodes that were that all aired in a six month period. Uh, so where they got these writers that were so good to, to do this genre, you know, genre teleplays, for you know, 24 hours worth in six months is it's completely insane that they were able to, to pull it off as well as they did. I, I'm sure Chris Carter wrote. Yeah. He, he probably wrote a bunch of them, but uh, a lot of these episodes that we've been talking about were not written by him. You know, they were written by guys they found uh, incredibly yeah. in this short time. Well, they
0: had so many great writers. And I think you guys have kind of already said this, that went on to create other amazing shows, whether it's a, uh, you know Carlton Cuse that went on to did Loss. You know Vince Gilligan hasn't even started with the X Files yet, who of course goes on to create Breaking Bad. But that was kind of like what X Files is known for, of the many other things as of, of like being a incubator of this amazing talent for all yeah. of these other shows that they end up doing. So it's it's pretty cool to look back at these shows and be like, oh wow, this person wrote this, or this person wrote that, or directed that. I mean, it's it's just amazing.
2: It's funny how Fox had two shows like that. I don't know, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys are huge fans of The Simpsons or not, but oh yeah, in the in the early seasons, I mean Conan O'Brien was involved. They just had so many great, highly educated writers involved in the first five seasons, yeah. uh, and then they all went on to, to, to greatness.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great point about that. Uh, another one was Seinfeld. Seinfeld kind of had a similar thing where oh, I just love there, that show. Yeah, just one of the greats and like, you know, some of their creators are went on to create other great shows. So it kind of I think goes back to like when a show is that great that you got to have that talent and you know that talent of course because they go on to do other things too.
1: Yep.
3: Yeah, this it's great that they do the follow-up and that they bring in, like you were saying, Victor, that kind of reality aspect of, okay, the monster's put away, but now he gets back out and there's all these real-world things of why this might actually happen. But it's just as strong or stronger in some ways an episode as the first one. Maybe what... I watched these so closely together, maybe you guys can tell me that older... Uh, the Like the investigator, the older guy who had been chasing him, you know, back these many years and had remembers the mill and things like that, that was, he was in the first episode too, right? In, in, um, in squeeze, I believe. And I can't, I can't remember, but he has a scene where he talks about that. He was there at the mill and saw what happened there. And then from then on, when he would see things like, It it happened early enough that, you know, he mentions in the forties when he saw the death camps. And then later when he would see these horrible atrocities that people committed, he's like, I was back there in that room at the mill. That's
2: from the first episode.
3: Oh, okay. And I, because it almost, it, it, you, you had mentioned a reference to uh, Twin Peaks, The Return, but some of what he says there is like about the human, the inhumanity and the human cruelty, possibly manifesting itself in this human monster that's sort mm-hmm. of like almost like a tulpa, like it's created is an element that kind of comes up in Twin Peaks, The Return, in a, yeah, you know, very, in a very Lynchian sort of way. But yeah. um, I thought I, I really thought that writing was really strong He t- when he's talking about that, that he sees these things and his mind goes back to that place. Mm-hmm
1: yeah, um and just one final comment. I, I think Tombs might be the first time uh, Scully calls Mulder Fox. Huh.
3: You might yeah, maybe. It's weird noticing how they kind of go back and forth between you know the the way they interact with each other uh, and and when the first times we think they do things that we are kind of familiar with them doing in the show regularly, you know, they all happen for the first time at some point in this season. Yep. Okay. So Victor, back to you. I think you're the last of your three episodes. Okay. Um, no, no, Vic, I'm sorry. Mm, Brain. It's getting later here. Uh, back to you, Dave. I'm sorry. The last of your three episodes.
2: Uh, so I have darkness falls that I picked in, uh, this is uh, this is one of my faves, and it's a pretty good one too. Uh, we're actually towards the end of the season now. I think this is yeah episode twenty, so we're in ninety four now. And this one's d- directed by Joe Napolitano, who who I didn't recognize. It's written by Chris Carter, and uh, with a couple of great guest stars. I wanted to mention up front. Uh, you can correct me if I mispronounce this. Somebody, uh, the uh, ranger in this episode is played by Jason Beg or. Um, anyways, he was the lead in Monkey Shines. If anybody saw Romero's, uh, uh, oh man, Monkey yeah, Shines from from the mid '80s. And then one of the eco terrorists is played by Titus Welliver, uh, and he's in NYPD Blue, Deadwood, Bosch, and a really great episode of The Mandalorian this past season. Yeah,
3: he was in Lost too.
2: Oh, was he? I, I never end. saw Lost. Yeah, but. he was one of the.
3: I guess the big bad if you want to use the Buffy vernacular.
2: <laughs> okay. My my wife loved that show so. Um cool. Good. I'm glad uh, he he he's definitely been working for a long time. Anyways, this one this one was a fun one. Um I just wrote a quick blurb about it. Uh loggers unleash a, a swarm of of deadly insects after cutting into the wrong tree and and Mulder and Scully have to travel to a remote part of the Washington forest. Uh, to, uh, to figure out what's going on and they will uh, actually, now that I start talking about it, this kind of reminds me of the last episode I discussed ice where uh, they end up the, the agents and a couple of people end up getting stuck in uh, this time. It's a cabin. What's going on in this one basically is the, uh, the loggers have unleashed a swarm of, of possibly ancient or thought extinct insects and Basically, they're kind of the opposite of what goes on now. These these bugs are kind of afraid of the light, or, or at least the, the, they stay out of the light. So, the play on the title there: dar- when darkness falls, you are you're, you're kind of in trouble. You got to make sure there is still light, which actually kind of reminds me of a movie that I, I am sure a, a movie has done this uh, more recently. I can't think of the title, but um, I feel like I just I recently watched something where the, the lights dark- out, maybe maybe it was is, is that that could be
3: you turn the lights off and the creature appears it's yes in the yes darkness.
2: yeah yeah and I, I did actually i kind of thought the movie was called darkness falls as well is there a movie called no, that
3: darkness? that's true too that's okay. what tooth fairy they can only travel in the darkness so you have people jumping from pools of light all right <laughs> that's maybe escape. that's
2: what's mixing me up here but yeah. um, th- this one this one is is very good even though it sounds quite simple um Mulder and scully trying to basically escape a swarm of bugs but the, 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 the setup being simple, still this show, this episode really delivers. And you can kind of see, too, how um, with this one, the setting really works. Obviously, they're filming in Vancouver. This is not in the U.S. And, and the show in the first season doesn't have a huge budget. So setting the whole episode in, in the forest actually makes a lot of sense. The scenery in Vancouver is spectacular. So the show ends up looking very expensive. And the setting you know fits right in with what they're doing while kind of, you know, skirting the fact that you don't have a ton of money or locations. You know, coming to the end of the season, they might have been saving money for, I don't know, there's a couple of big episodes towards the end. But I, I think it works great. The, uh, the, the the area that they're filming this episode in is just spectacular. They do come across, uh, maybe it's the old growth tree that that the uh, bugs escape from, but man, they're standing next to it, and the, the trunk of the tree is almost as tall as Mulder. It's just craziness. Oh, yeah, there's some some really great uh, villainy here too. The there's a I believe the guy's name is Humphreys. He's the leader of the the loggers. He's looking for his men because uh, a whole a whole crew has disappeared. That's what incites Mulder and Scully to head up there. They're basically looking for a lost crew. Uh, and uh, Humphreys he assumes that the eco terrorists did something. But they all come to find out that it's it's uh, it's something that's going to kill them all. It's it's the, the bugs that are getting them. But as they're driving up to the site, you know, he he's he's talking about basically people trying to protect the planet like they're these uh, I, I don't know hippie uh, draft dodgers. You know, and he, he says something like, "We we pay for the right to take these trees." As they're driving through this. Uh, what's left of this gorgeous forest? But I don't know. It, it just makes me so mad that 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 kind of attitude is still around today, as we lose logging. You know, logging uh giant old growth forests. It's just funny that 30 years later, we're, some of this stuff is still going on. And the attitude that we own those trees and we can just cut down whatever we want. I love how they basically get you know poetic justice that. Uh, doing the doing the work that they're trying to make money with is what ends up getting them all killed. How about you yeah, guys? This,
0: yeah, this is another episode that I just love. Like, it's just such a great episode. Kind of very similar to Ice. What you were saying is like it has a, just a, a similar type feeling to me. I kind of always like think of these two uh, together since they're both from the first season. And another thing about this episode that I always kind of think about is how strong the X-Files is when the episodes are placed mainly outside. And I think a lot of that has to do with what you're saying about how, you know, the Vancouver setting gave them so many great options of filming outside. But like, I always just feel like these type of episodes, whether it's this one or ice, they're really not outside, but you know, they're in that uh, Arctic, you know, setting, I guess you could say. There's also that really great episode. I believe it's in season four, where they're in the Florida uh, Everglades in those creatures. Season are,
3: five, detour.
0: Season five, <laughs> detour. <laughs> where they're like that, hidden that, and that, you can't find them. Um, yeah. Just another great episode. So like any episode that's like taking place outside for the most part, I'm all in for the X-Files.
1: <laughs> yep. This yeah, one they, has the. A... Bit... Sorry. Oh, no, no. Go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say they go to the Pacific Northwest a lot, don't they? <laughs> like, yeah, they're like, always. They have
0: some frequent flyer points to the Pacific Northwest for sure.
2: It's it's the most <laughs> uh, it's the most forested Washington DC I've ever seen. Sometimes in these episodes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> always.
0: Yeah. You know, are, are their bosses always like? So you're spending a lot of time in Portland. You want to just move to that uh, branch? Like, what's going
2: on here? You you notice they never they never. Go to New York City. They never try to pass Vancouver off as New York City. They yeah, probably learned it from good, January, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, right? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I, I think
3: Toronto was like Baltimore a few times <laughs> somewhere mm-hmm. along well,
2: At least that has you know skyscrapers, and there's not you that's know the true. giant cliff of insanity in the horizon
1: behind the city. <laughs> well. Uh, yeah. Yeah I'm in I'm in uh, uh Seattle and um my wife's from Portland so every time she sees landmarks from from Portland she's like it's the big pink building or whatever I'm like no it's, it's Star Labs from Flash Star Labs Yes. Oh right right <laughs> <laughs> Oh it's funny um but it, I, well, I love it. Darkness Falls, too. I, I just want to reiterate what you guys said. Uh, I love eco-horror. Like, I think that that's a real thing. I think that, you know, the the deeper yeah. we delve into the oceans or the forests, like, the more likely we are to encounter something really deadly that uh, we have never encountered before. And I think those two, you know, Ice and Darkness Falls in this season really capture that feel well. Yeah, This
2: one, yeah, I, it, it's really neat how they're, Basically in the same situation, but it feels fresh again. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just this one. This one feels faster. You know, the more tense for somehow. I don't. I don't know. The, there's a couple of scenes where they've got or they think they've got the bugs on them, and they're just freaking out. Or you know, they've mm-hmm. got it. The light is what they need. And there's there is a scene where Dana's freaking out. And there's only one bulb in the cabin, and she kind of she's flailing her arms as she walks back and hits the only bulb there. The two guys jump at the bulb to try to grab it to save it. You know, just oh, just good yeah. stuff.
3: Um, this is one that really feels like, even though you know, okay, Mulder and Scully are our main characters, and we know that this show's going to continue, so they're they're probably going to survive. It really does start to feel pretty futile towards the you know you get this feeling that maybe we are not going to make it out of this. You know, and they I think almost that's almost do yeah, they, they yeah. almost don't, but you get this. You, you, there is a desolate feeling to it. That survival horror kicks in. I agree with with everything you guys have said, and, and Victor, what you're saying about the the eco horror. And Dave, it's funny when we did the we did a wilderness episode earlier in the summer, and we did we covered the movie Prophecy from 1979, the John Frankenheimer movie. And the reason oh, I yeah. think about that is you have some of those same beautiful old forests and a lot of great cinematography in there. The monster is much more silly in, the, in Prophecy. I mean, technically, the monsters are, they look a little underwhelming here, but it's what they do and, and the threat yeah. they pose that creates the tension. It's
2: funny, the bugs but, here almost look like the Matrix.
3: Yeah, 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 that's a, yeah. that's a good point, right? They look almost like the <laughs> nano, <laughs> nanobites <do>. or something. <laughs> but what's interesting, I think, is you, you guys keep talking about all the, like, Uh, on-location photography and how much of the outdoor photography there is. And it always – it feels very lush. And you you would get a little bit of that in stuff like Twin Peaks. But here it always looks wet and damp and, you know, you get a really – Uh, earthy feeling uh, like there's an episode later in this called shapes that's kind of deals with the the werewolf mythology and you get the the mists and everything just the ambiance is so great and i think that's interesting because a lot of the internal sets and everything they have you know you're going to be people in office buildings or in labs and and they have a lot of that but there was another show i don't know if you guys ever saw it i can't remember what it aired on it was called the dark skies i think around the same time that the x-files
2: was was on you never heard of it you said I have heard of it but I didn't see it yeah,
3: yeah I don't it wasn't think I've seen it it wasn't very good it, that's funny because Art Bell actually showed up on that one Dave
2: oh wow
0: really
3: in, in the show here or there yeah he wasn't like a main star or anything but he had a little cameo but the one thing I remember about that show is that so much of it it felt so cheap because so much of it was just indoor sets you know they didn't take advantage of sort of this natural. Um, environments here and I think that's what opens up the X-Files and Noah pun intended kind of lets it breathe a little bit the other thing I want to say maybe it, it, Scully's wardrobe vacillates all over the place in this first season yeah, there's a lot of shoulder pads there's some There's some uh, almost like uh, Willow from Buffy cat sweater kind of action going on here a few times I think in this episode yeah, I remember and- just being very oh, cognizant of what is she wearing?
2: Is this the one too where <laughs> like, does nothing fit her in this episode? Everything it feels like she the sweater is three times too big, and then maybe she finds don't a jacket to... in the cabin that's yeah. not either.
3: I can cut oh, this out yeah. if it turns out not to be true, but I think I remember my wife and I noticing that, and I think it might have been that it it seems like it's possible that she was pregnant during this time period. Oh, like when yeah. this particular episode oh. was shot, because there's uh, clearly a point where a couple very, of these episodes and this one particularly, it seems like they're trying to obscure that fact. And so you have her wearing these frumpalicious like <laughs> sweaters and stuff. They're like, would Dano actually wear that? Even if, you know, even if that was the only thing left in the cabin after three days of hiding season
2: out two that she's not in the first couple of episodes for that reason. That might be. It it might might be, be yeah,
3: And this is pretty close to the end of season. Right. Yeah, Exactly. Of the season. Yeah, I bet that is
0: it, honestly, because I think you're right. It's beginning of season two when she has her kid.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I so that probably that time frame works out, but you can you can kind of I don't know that it's it's visible that she's pregnant, but I think it is definitely visible that they seem to be trying to, you know, um she's certainly not wearing the most flattering of clothes in this uh in this in this episode and maybe a couple surrounding it, but yeah, it's it's fun because it is basically a re- – it, it is the same episode in some ways in terms of all the basic beats, even down to the we're all at odds with each other, but eventually we're going to have to trust each other to some extent uh, that you had in ice. But it just shows the strength of the show that it can make – Two episodes that take place within the same, you know, within a basic same time frame as each other, it still works and it still feels effective.
2: And, and this one too. Before we end with this episode, or before we finish talking about this episode, the last line in this one, which again also reminds me of ice, and for similar reasons, right? It, it, if this escapes, it's, it's the end for us. But Mulder's in the quarantine facility. He's talking to one of the scientists there, and he's asking about basically what's going on. How is the government going to get rid of them? Oh they have a plan and they're going to uh, enact they're enacting it right now and, and they'll be successful and Mulder says I think he says uh, and what if they're not the doctor turns to him and says that is not an option Mr Mulder <laughs> very <laughs> <Yeah>. very comforting <laughs> yeah like but it, but it's, it's that's it right that's it, that's the reality of it right there if this if if you had brought that back from the arctic or if these bugs escaped yeah. this forest we're done
0: I will say the X-Files, in the X-Files world the government is really efficient. It's <laughs> very true so Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: So the next episode it's actually in terms of chronology it's jumping back a little bit. Um, this is X, episode 13 and it's called Beyond the Sea and this episode's really interesting i think because it's one i remember most mate, or one of the ones i remember the most from the first season and it's not it's 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 kind of cool because x files i think everybody breaks the x files down into two categories which would be monster of the week and mythology episode and technically speaking this would be the freak of the week or the monster of the week episode right But in some ways, it's not, and there's a couple other episodes like that, Uh, Young at Heart, and a couple others in this season, and in all the seasons, where I think it, they're less, even though they don't focus on the mythology, they're not as centralized to the, to the quote unquote freak or monster, as they are central to a character like Mulder or Scully. You know, I think that their X Files kind of has a third option, which is that the the Mulder and Scully centric episode that's really about them. And there happens to be a side story that just, not that it's not important, but it's so intrinsically tied to them that it's hard to think of it as the creature of the week. You know, in this one, you've got a, a it's funny because the plot of this is very similar. I don't want to, I guess, minor spoilers. The plot of this, in some ways, the basic gist of it is very similar to the second X-Files movie that they make called I Want to Believe, where you, invo- you have a kind of uh in this one it's a convicted killer who is saying hey i have these psychic abilities and if you can work with me i can help you solve this murder you know that there's the silence of the lambs template a little bit but uh in the second tv movie or the second tv movie the second movie you you have a a a a pedophile priest a disgraced priest played by um i think it's uh Billy Connolly, and he's trying to help them solve this mystery and saying he has psychic abilities. And the whole episode sort of turns off of that, the Mulder and Scully dynamic of I'm the believer and you're not. uh, You see a lot of that in this episode. But the episode, what's interesting is when I was watching X-Files, I kind of forgot, particularly went back and watched it, that Mulder and Scully, they have some of their, their parents are sort of there in this first season, but so much of their history and everything, it deals with uh, them being in the shadow of their parents or in the shadow of family tragedies that you sort of forget that they were ever in the picture, you know, and yet they really are in the first season. Don Davis shows up in this episode for a brief period of time as Scully's dad. And, uh, you know, again, minor spoilers here, he passes away after showing up to her. She's unbeknownst to her, you know, he shows up at her bedside and, and he's talking, but you can't hear him. And that really felt very Twin Peaks-y. You know, Don Don Davis would often phase in and out on Twin Peaks. And he would appear to characters and say something cryptic. And it that kind of happens here. And then she gets a call realizing that he has died. And her big sort of concern and 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 worry is that he was disapproving of her and didn't approve of her ultimate decision to join the FBI and that's kind of a crux of what's happening with her in this and then you get this story this the 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 freak of the week thing happens where they have these kids who are have been abducted and the typical MO of this particular uh killer is that they are abducted and after a week they are murdered and so You have set up this idea that there's a race against time. And then they get called in because this guy, Luther Lee Boggs, who was displayed brilliantly by Brad Dourif. And I honestly, Brad Dourif, I had, for whatever reason, I never got around to seeing like Exorcist 3 for a long time. And so I had just rented it like shortly before this episode played. So I had just seen him in that role where he, again, he's a very creepy incarcerated guy. And of course, you know, child's play and all the way back to, um, you know, like all the different performances that Durov has had, you, he, by this point in time, he's in body parts too. You get this feeling, and he, he's definitely creepy, and he's creepy here, but you have to be able to, uh, he also has to be a little bit human here because he's this killer who's killed, killed like five members of his family after dinner or something, you know, just kind of because. Uh, they make a point that say, well, he kills because he likes it. Like some people do all these other things, but he's he just likes killing people and at this point you've got that setup that's almost the silence of the lambs dynamic Mulder and scully both go there he's telling them hey if you can get me uh so that i don't go back to the electric chair i've had this experience and that first time when he goes to the electric chair and he's he's not killed but now he says he has these psychic like uh, abilities he's if i can help you find this guy then you then you need to get me off so I don't die because that's I want to live as long as possibly can he has a creepy bit of dialogue and the way he performs it where he says look I'm pretty sure that hell it's going to be me going to that electric chair over and over and over again so I don't ever want to go to it again while I'm alive i mean it was like wow okay <laughs> I got gotcha, you you know and uh, all the way he delivers his lines it's so creepy but the the writing on this is really strong and even the dynamic is strong they get in there and Mulder gives him a piece of his own like Nick shirt that he rips and hands it to him telling him oh this is from the kids and he goes through this thing where he's pretending like he sees and gets uh you know vibes off of it for, <laughs> to, to use the flash uh you know that he's kind of uh, getting a feeling of what's happening but then some of the other things he says do come to pass, and so this idea is, is he's is he working with this other killer? How does he know this information? And it sets up that dichotomy of Scully kind of has to be the believer to a certain degree, and she has to actually choose to be the believer and decide if that's the right choice or not, and some of that's happening because Boggs, at one point, he's saying, I can speak to your father, and he even channels him a little bit, and it's just some of those scenes are extremely creepy. A lot of that's down to Dourif's performance, but also the way he's playing off of Anderson. I think that the side story, the thing he's trying to help them with is it's interesting, but man, so much of this mo- this episode runs off of how strong Dourif is. And I don't know if that dichotomy there between the faith and the belief, because that's the interesting thing about Scully, right? You realize during the show that Scully is far more likely in some episodes to believe things of a spiritual nature than Mulder is. Oh, he where doesn't Mulder believe in is, God. yeah, yeah, he doesn't believe in God, and so
2: he'll he'll believe in leprechauns, but God, that's that's a bridge too far, right? So it's it, it, it but it's kind of brilliant a uh,
3: device because what it allows is there are It allows them to have plenty of episodes where Scully is basically in a sense, going against her constant line of, well, I need evidence, I need evidence, I need evidence. So, you know, it's it creates a really fun dichotomy, and here you have it on almost every facet, and I think it might be one of the most well-done episodes in that handles that dichotomy, that faith versus science, uh, as far as it applies to, to Scully. And the, there is a, I wish it was handled visually better, but there's that creepy scene where uh Boggs is recounting how he's seeing the spirits as he's headed to the electric chair and unfortunately it looks a little silly as it's played yeah. but you almost wish it was just him talking and there's a point where they say well why did you help us and he's like with the hopes that there will be one less ghost standing there when i get to the chair
1: yeah it it probably should have been um but yeah I, it's i i think um this beyond the sea one of my favorite of the entire series of the x-files it's just a fantastic episode That, um, scene where, uh, Scully's father appears by her bedside and it's quiet really reminded me of the dream sequence in Rosemary's baby a little bit, like where it's just, everything's real, but it doesn't seem quite right. Uh, and then of course you immediately clicks into the, the viewers like, oh, you know, he wasn't there. Like she had a vision of him and then you realize he just died. Um, and, uh. That's that one, two, three punch was amazing. First time I saw it. And um, yeah, I I think that uh, this is really sort of a metaphor for an existential crisis, which is what I mean, Scully might be a little too young to be having this, but (laughs) there's sort of a point yeah, in our careers where it's like a parent dies or something happens in the world where you're like, wow, you know, am I really living my best life? Because am I going to be around next week? Like, I, I think that's that happens to, to most people. And that's what happens to to Dana at this point. Like, she's like, should I be in the FBI? Like, my father never really approved of it. Um, and it sort of causes her to reexamine her motivation. And, I'm, you know, at the end of the episode, she's more determined than ever, I think. Uh, I didn't watch
2: this one recently. I, I I think it was probably during the summer when I watched it last. But I would just say the same thing about Brad Dourif. Uh, that's the main memory or takeaway from this episode is how how good he is. Like especially when he starts to foam at the mouth and dial it up to eleven or twelve. Like in you mentioned Exorcist three or when he's Chucky and he's you know at the top of his lungs and screaming and swearing like he is scary he is believable he's well i think he was nominated for an oscar so maybe not underrated but man he is super strong in this
1: yeah i think he was nominated or won an oscar for one flew over the cuckoo's nest
2: so at least being nominated yeah so i I guess you can't say he's underrated because he's definitely been acknowledged but man he is so good as these insane villainous characters and he actually has, like, I don't know, there's a little sympathy for him at the end there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's all him.
3: So, Tommy, did you have any thoughts about this episode?
0: Yeah. The only thing I was going to mention is that, you know, I think you guys did a great job kind of talking about the different types of episodes that X Files does. But I think this episode is a good example of how, while the X Files gets kind of pigeonholed into that sci fi or monster of the week kind of realm um it's also can do drama you know a dr- just a straight dramatic episode or dramatic scenes you know at at the highest level you know of television i think and i think that was really one of the underrated aspects of it and and jillian anderson kind of shows how great of an actress she is and you know of course she's had a great career she just showed up on the Crown as Margaret Thatcher and was amazing on that. And I kind of these these episodes really highlight her acting ability and how good she really is in this role. So yeah, just a great episode and really one of the the best of this season in my opinion. Also,
3: yeah, I, I and I I think that's what's great is is it, again the first season and you have so many different kinds of episodes and so many different things going on and yet it does feel a whole of a piece almost as if you had seen. Something that was just serialized, pushing the story along. Anyway, so then we're going to go to uh, Victor for your last episode, which is very convenient because it's the last episode of the season.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Episode 24, uh, Erlenmeyer Flask. And um, yeah, uh, for those of you that didn't major in science out there, the Erlenmeyer Flask is basically that conical... Flask that you see in um, in you know monster movies and or labs in, in
2: real life it's, is it the it's the beaker that Doctor Jekyll drinks? I should assume.
1: Yes, I think so. Um,
2: okay, yeah. I was but, actually going to ask somebody if they knew if that was a real thing.
1: Yeah, it's. I don't know why it's called that, but I guess it was invented by a guy named Erlenmeyer. Meyer. Um, but uh, that type of flask is critical to where this episode turns in its story. So. Um, so anyway, this is this is a um, an alien mythology episode, and it is super. It's written by Chris Carter, I believe, if memory serves, and um, it's it it has Scully and Mulder separately um, pursuing, you know, to the best of their ability in their own way, uh, a trail of clues to lead to what may be an alien. And the way the episode starts out is there's a man and he runs off a dock into the ocean. He is shot and he falls into the, into the sea and never comes back up. Um, but it's revealed a little bit later that the government has been (laughs) through deep throat. Uh, the government, um, has been experimenting with alien DNA and has made human-alien hybrids, which is something that comes back into the show quite a bit. And um, and the dude who ran off the pier has the ability to survive underwater. He has toxic blood and a bunch of other stuff that make him a very dangerous suspect. So this um, uh, alien-human hybrid is being pursued by both the, the our, our main character agents and these mysterious men in black that listen to everything through a, a directional mic through an unmarked van and it all comes to a head with um, Mulder getting captured uh, so this time he's the hostage and Scully has to deal with Deep Throat to try to get a plan together to spring Mulder and um, through this deal Deep Throat gets Scully inside. This is such a brilliant piece of writing because, you know, uh, Mulder's the one that has held close to his heart this you know, belief in extraterrestrials. And yet it's it's a Scully that is able to, um, uh, you know, deal with Deep Throat, get an access pass in the secret government facility and actually find the alien body that the government has been using. So she gets the proof and uh sadly she gives it to um deep throat and deep throat is betrayed and um the uh, the government is once again to cover all this up and uh the the episode ends um with uh just it's exactly the same as the raiders of the lost ark ending in uh, in the pilot episode so these make perfect bookends for the season where, uh, the cigarette smoking man is delivering the evidence to some weird room with tons and tons of evidence files in the Pentagon. So we know that there's some branch of the government that wrote, you know, that is based in the Pentagon that is, that has, you know, feelers into all this. And, uh, and this is what, um, our heroes have been, uh, fighting the whole time. Um, and, uh, yeah, and they, I think they end the episode with um, uh, Mulder calling Scully saying, yep, they're going to shut down the X-Files. So anybody that was really into the show is just like, what? You know, they ended the season with like, that's it? Like, it, like did they cancel the show? Uh, and you have to wait, you know, six months before you start to hear uh, rumors of it starting up again. Um, yeah. <laughs> in those but um, yeah, yeah,
2: literally six months because no internet.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, but great episode, really well paced. Um, I, I loved, uh, Scully taking the lead as sort of a scientific detective for a while. Um, there, I, I just wanted to add one more detail, uh, when, you know, there's a, there's a point where she is dealing, um, with some experts in a lab that she knows at Georgetown university. And, um, they find that the bacteria that she has, which she gathered in an Erlenmeyer flask, um, I wonder if you guys were wondering if I was ever going to get around to that, uh, (laughs) was it is like some bacteria that was around before humans walked, walked the earth. Um, And the way they frame those scenes, I think, is another homage to a carpenter, John Carpenter movie called Prince of Darkness, where, yeah, these scientists are all kind of holed up trying to figure out what this substance in this canister that's been there for hundreds of years really is and they're coming up with all this weird data and it's kind of similar. And the, it turns out that the scientists name in this X-Files episode is Dr. Carpenter. So I kind of put it together. Nice. that That's what they were doing. Um, but yeah, fantastic episode. One of my favorite of this, of the, the season. Uh, and, um, yeah, again, highly recommended.
2: Yeah. There's the, the there's, uh, a scene in this. I, I just assumed, I, I didn't realize that something happened to, uh, a character this early in the show, and it also helps you to kind of you know you said you, you, by the end of this episode you don't know if it's coming back. Well, that incident I think you guys can figure it out. I don't want to spoil it. Um, that also leads to that like you know this show might not be coming back the way it ends. It's it's really really well done, and I, I didn't remember that happening so early in the series. I thought I thought that the scene I'm thinking of. Uh, happened like in season two or three i didn't realize it was all that early
3: this episode's really interesting because as the mythology builds and gets stranger and crazier there's a feeling to that you almost i, I remember watching some of it and thinking like where is all this with the you know the um uh, the ichthy soldiers that could go in the water and, and 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 do all this and they're alien hybrids and this ancient like strain of alien dna like where did all this weird stuff come from is he just pulling out of nowhere but it's interesting to see how early he did you know no pun intended sort of seeded into the show like and it's it's very compelling here because a lot of those images like all the tanks and and even that image that's uh you know, when he goes into the room and, and, and you see all these people there and then the image towards the end, it is that kind of Indiana Jones sort of reference. And then all the stuff with Deep Throat. It, it really is interesting because you start out at the beginning with this kind of vague sense of things and there's a very clear alien plot set up. And I honestly didn't remember it being that pronounced at the end of the first season.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really cool idea. The that you know we just have the technology. We don't have actual alien uh, aliens or alien tech being used by aliens. We just have something that we've been trying to reverse engineer or put back together. And they kind of started with the deep throat episode um, that we talked about. And uh, you know this is sort of the next level. It's like you know we've we, we've got alien DNA and we reverse engineered that to try to make a more, a better human or, or a different human. Uh, and, um, it's, yes, yeah, it's pretty mind blowing stuff. I don't know where it came from. I've never encountered it outside this TV show.
2: No, I'm it's sure that maybe... plausible
1: though. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I, could like, totally feel like that's what the government would get up to right away. Right. Like, we, Oh, we <laughs> definitely need to improve our soldiers. <laughs> Let's make better ones. <laughs> Super. soldiers. it seems real. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: Uh, Well, yeah. And what's nice is they do keep it couched in a certain sense of science. You know what I mean? Is that it isn't just and it isn't just the we partnered with the little gray aliens. That element does come up in the show as it goes on and they explain some of that stuff. But it's interesting how like like Victor, like you're saying, maybe in some of the really arcane corners of the of the paranoid conspiracy world at this point in time, I'm sure some of this stuff is out there. You know, the people called in the art bell show all the time reporting this sort of stuff. And then they will be magically whisked away in the middle of a phone call that always left you wondering what the heck happened. I There was mm. in fact there, I think there was an episode of the art bell show it was probably after X-Files had been on the air. And this guy is freaked out saying that he understands that all the cities are going to be taken over very soon. And that the government is definitely uh, going to come down on us any minute. And then, bell satellite literally goes out in the middle of the call (laughs) the guy never comes back so it's like uh there's very you can you listen to that like on youtube it's very interesting but um yeah just it it creates the it's plausible within the world that they've set up and it is just as interesting as the monster of the week stuff because i think that's the that's the difficulty when we have so many stellar episodes that we talked about with these individual stories you got it that and that to me i don't want to get into too much of the Uh, right now but as you get later on that was kind of where the x-files started to get a little weak i think eventually the the mythology never felt as well constructed as some of the standalones and i don't think that's the case here i think it's very it still feels very strong
1: yeah that's interesting you should mention that because that's exactly when i stopped watching the show which was probably somewhere around season six mid mid season six Um, that's exactly the feeling I came away from was that the monster of the week episodes were the strongest ones. And, you know, the, the, the UFO stuff kind of went off the rails at some point, but if you have just watched season one, the UFO mythology stuff is really strong and it's got tremendous potential. And I think even through season two, it's, it's really good and really strong as well. So uh, I don't think they, they start losing ideas for a while. It's funny you guys framed that
2: conversation that way. I uh, I had mentioned earlier, I didn't watch Lost, but my wife loves it. So I do know how it ends and what it's about. Uh, I didn't realize, though, that there were uh, creatives in this show that went on to work on Lost. Because I saw a quote uh, from the, the guys who worked on Lost who said, oh, uh, we... we our the, the ending of our show has been planned out for years. We learned from the X Files how not to end a show. <laughs> that's not even fair. But here's no, the, I, yeah. But I, here's I, the thing. I realized that. What's funny about
0: that? I mean, you. That's a great point you made because Lost was has. You know, I'm a huge Lost fan. Love Lost. Probably my second favorite show after the X Files, and it was also criticized for its ending, which I don't think is fair. I think it actually nailed oh, right. it. Yeah, it, it was it was more yeah. mixed. It wasn't like they. It was pretty mixed, but the X Files. Oh,
2: I, I was being a little sarcastic.
0: No, I think you you make a great point about that. Like it was it was pretty mixed because they did say that all the time, even though they didn't. They kind of made up as they went along. But the X Files. Yeah, I was
3: gonna say I didn't. <laughs> I don't buy that they had the ending in mind all no. the time because it does feel complete. They might have had the last five minutes in mind as this is the mm-hmm. end. Yes, but that could have been tacked on to literally anything. No, you know not to to give anything away but it could have been the end of the bob newhart show i'm just saying
2: (laughs) that one i do know right
1: yeah yeah to to, no i just want to say to the listeners out there like if you see these nine episodes you will come away with the idea that the x-files was a masterpiece in 1993 now there are some other episodes (laughs) they are are not as good yeah. Some of them are pretty good um, or they're cool ideas that maybe weren't executed too great or maybe great executions with kind of not so great an idea. Um, but these nine are great. Like they right. are super, super solid. Well, and um, yeah. Victory, you make ahead. a
0: great point. Bo- no, the only thing I was going to say on that, I think um, because X-Files is truly one of the greatest shows ever made, I believe. And I think you got to put it in the context a little bit that like okay take breaking bad for example which you know people consider one of the greatest shows ever and it really is but how many episodes did it have maybe 60 to 70 i think yeah the x-files has over like 220 episodes so like people need to realize that like they were just knocking these out and there are more yeah. great x-files episodes than probably any other show ever made they may have a few clunkers in there but when you're making 24 a season that's
1: inevitable. I, I I can't believe the production, you know, capacity that these guys were were yeah. at, and and that it looks as good as it as it does. It's it's really incredible. Not to mention, you know, Mark Snow, the composer, composing forty minutes of music every week. I mean, that is completely insane. It's it's tremendous. Yeah. I mean, one thing to keep in mind, just uh, tacking on to to what Tommy just said. I mean, uh, yeah. like uh, an episode of like, like better call Saul, a season of better call Saul or breaking bad. I think they only do 10 to 13 episodes a year for those shows. So it's so luxurious of a production schedule. It's at least twice that of what the X-Files guys had. And that was in the days before they even knew where all the genre writing talent was like Chris Carter was just some guy with, with a, a genre show, the only one on TV or one of the only ones, and he had to find these guys that were good enough. I mean, after the first couple of seasons, I'm sure it hit critical mass and started attracting writers that were like, oh, yeah, I, I you know, I'm really into this stuff and I want to write scripts, so I'm going to try out for the X-Files. And, um, you know, but the first couple of seasons, I can't believe they are as great as they are. Yeah,
0: yeah, great point.
1: But yeah, so
3: anyway, and one of the things you mentioned, Victor, I do want to, any other thoughts that we have about uh, the season in general, I do, there are there are a couple episodes I want to mention, both on the good side and the not so good side, but um, Conduit is one that we didn't talk about in too much detail. I think it's mostly notable because it really delves into the Mulder's sister being abducted mythology that we didn't talk too much about because it didn't come up as prevalently in most of the episodes, but this one delves into it, it really delves into kind of the abduction elements, and that storyline goes a lot of different places over the years, but it's important because it does, it early on at least, it really seems to define the driving force under Mulder's quest, beyond just I want to believe or I want to know that these things are out here, you know, he mentions that in the first episode. We hear him talk about it many times. But condo, it's a good episode because you really see how it affects him as a person. It lets Scully see how it affects him. Um, do you guys remember much about that episode?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a fairly slow, not not a super yeah. strong episode, but it's not uh, just good like
3: in, you... as an episode per se or as a good story, but.
1: But yeah, the, exactly what you meant, what you just mentioned, Nathan, I mean, I, it kind of reminds me of that Star Trek first generation, you know, the original generation show uh, obsession where Captain Kirk like becomes obsessed with this creature that only appears every once in a while that killed one of his old crewmen on his first mission. And he drives the Enterprise into danger to, to hunt this thing down. It's almost like Moby Dick. You know, uh, and and that it's kind of like that side of Mulder starts showing up where he's just obsessed, and uh, Scully doesn't know what to do with him. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and I
3: feel like again, that's that episode that doesn't quite fall into the mythology per se or the other. It's that character driven. Uh, how about some of the ones that maybe we didn't feel were as successful? And again, as, mm-hmm. as uh, Dave said, I'm not sure we were recording it, but David mentioned earlier that even an episode of the X Files. That uh, is um, that's not that great is sometimes still more entertaining than a lot of other stuff that's on that that's there to see. So uh-huh.
2: at least it's full of imagination, long. right? Like they're 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 certainly trying. And you guys have mentioned that you're you're trying to do 24 episodes a season. The other big show from back then I always watched was Next Generation. They're also doing 24 episodes a season, and yeah. I think it's you're right, Victor. It's obviously so much harder to come up with 24 episodes than 10. But I think that's why you get the big hits and sometimes the big misses too because you're kind of left uh, without without the option of, uh, you know, you might not have the option of throwing scripts out.
0: Like this is all we right. got, guys. We got to go with it.
2: But yeah, so speaking of that, I, I, I would bring up uh, Shadows as an episode that, you know, it, it sounds interesting, but it it's it's not the most entertaining. Uh, I think that's the one about um, the 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 ghost uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, secretary who's who's haunted by the ghost of her boss, and he's getting I, I believe he's getting revenge on his coworkers. Right,
0: right. Yeah, I do remember that episode. Not I'm not just, being one of the best.
2: Like like it's an interesting story. It's certainly. Um, you know, interesting, but I I just don't think it it, it comes off as particularly entertaining. Yeah, it's the execution. I feel like, go ahead.
1: Uh, Oh, no, I was just going to say it it almost seems like an experiment that they tried again with Born Again later in the season where it's like, you know, somebody's a ghost and he's reaching out through other characters to, to do something um but born again is way better like it's it's executed way mm-hmm. way better is, it, like is that beautiful. the computer programmer one uh no it's the it's the one where um there's a kid like going around uh and there's a dead cop and and then there's <laughs> this psychokinetic video made of a deep sea diver
3: that's oh, so weird <laughs> I don't by the way sequence.
1: Huh. Yeah, I love that image, um, and that it, it's a central clue that makes absolutely no sense oh, yeah. until Mulder puts it all together, like at the very end. Okay, it's like a fish tank ornament.
0: Is it? Yes. Is it in yes. this season?
2: Visible? Yes. Yeah,
0: I do kind of okay. remember that now. Yeah,
2: I don't remember that one.
3: Um, and that—that's a yeah, that's a good example because that one's a lot more interesting. This one, I mean, it—it it almost feels like at this point in time in the '90s, it would have been like almost like a a and e movie or a lifetime sort of thrill you know it has the the way it's directed and the way it's handled it just feels very pedestrian and it's not it does unfortunately
2: i think the lead actress is not maybe not up to the same quality of all the other guests they bring in
3: yeah and it's there's also a weird way because the many of the other episodes leading up to this deals so much with how Mulder and Scully are relating to this phenomena. And there's some pretty wild out there, okay, how are you going to explain this away phenomena? And it's just sort of like hand-waved away. (laughs) You know, It's like, we're sure to forget this like everybody else, so it's not going to affect our viewpoint. (laughs) You know, some of the things they see or seem to have proof of here should be right up at the very top of the I told you, Scully, or I told you Mulder list, and yet It doesn't seem like it amounts to much, you know, in their overall view of things. Yeah, exactly. Um, Any other? So another episode I felt in around Mm -hmm. the same time frame, and I think it's exactly what you're saying. They have so many that it's sort of like, okay, we'll just take your script. Okay, um, we're missing one. I got my kid to write something here. Let's make it. And um, there's a because there's a couple of wild out there ideas that you feel like they probably grabbed them. And then when it came time to develop the story, they just didn't have the story there. There's an episode called Space that is incredibly weird as a concept. You know, I feel like around mm-hmm. this time frame, you could go to any tabloid. And if you weren't looking at the Bat Boy on the cover of that tabloid, you were looking at that face <laughs> on the moon. You know, looked like a screaming yeah, moon yeah. face. Yeah. And this episode is literally features scenes where that screaming moon face looking exactly like it does on on the tabloid cover, is floating towards people, you know, on Earth and, like, haunting them. And that's not exactly what's happening in the episode, but what a half-baked mess that sort of (laughs) ends up being. Uh, Because you're sitting there, this is the same show that made you believe a man could wriggle like a slinky through a vent, and yet you're looking at this being like, oh, come on. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I think it's one of the worst of the first season. I was just reading about it, it said that because of the first few episodes, you know, being overrun with their budget, they can see this as a bottle episode. So they used like a lot of NASA um, footage and, uh, (laughs) but then, but then then they, they built the command center. And because that, that actually caused a lot of cost overruns, it actually became one of the most expensive episodes of the first season. Oh, oh geez! So I kind of laughed at that.
3: That's like when you realize that the movie Sphere had like an eighty million dollar price tag, yeah. and there's a scene where they're attacked by a giant squid, and all you see is Peter Coyote looking at the at the grid saying, "The squid is attacking," and there's yeah. like a big flip, and you're like, "Where did yeah. that eighty
0: million go? Where'd it go?" Mm. It's like it's like
1: wow, the after
0: party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Must have been a good party.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. I, one episode that really underwhelmed me, like, I think the only time they shot below their weight class, uh, was the gender bender episode I thought uh, that would come up. Yeah. This is, this is like, it's an Amish community. And, um, oh, the yeah. superpower that some of these Amish people have is, um, to change shapes and they change from men to women and the the only thing i can think of is you know i mean aids was pretty scary at the time this was written but the 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 central idea that the monster is a person that is essentially bisexual yeah. is really offensive like i well, think it it yeah. it really goes against sorry, right? Yeah. I mean, what, one of the things I think is so cool about this show is that it takes outsiders and normalizes them and makes them makes them nice and cool and three dimensional. And I think they just go in the opposite direction in this one episode. I don't know why it, it got made, but maybe they're well, just out of time and they were like, OK, this is the only script that kind of works. So
0: I'm just reading here. It said Glenn Morgan. They This episode was inspired by Glenn Morgan's desire for an episode with more of a
3: sexy edge. And I would mm-hmm. say they failed in that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: it didn't age well.
2: No,
3: yeah, this is the one that really has that supermarket, like, tabloid, like, Amish, Amish, you know, sex mutants or something. And it's just, like, it's just about as dumb as what I just said. And uh, it it seems like it should be intriguing. But it's like you said, Victor. They don't know where they're going with it. And they just, you're right. It's, it's set up to be, like... Uh, you know that all of these elements are bad evil these are you know and it doesn't deal with it in a semi like interesting way you're just looking at it like what am i watching like the most interesting thing would be watching uh, like the average you know family who's normally watching the x-files tunes in one night for family night and gets to watch gender bender you know (laughs) yeah yeah which would be which would be unfortunate. Um there's a couple that underwhelm me that I actually don't think are bad. About. I think Gender is the worst of the season. Um and it's the it's like you said it's maybe one of the few that I would say, "Hey, it's legitimately kind of bad." Like uh bad like I don't ever need to really watch this again bad. <laughs> but um a couple that disappointed me that I still have some things that are interesting and I think it was because when I saw them that I was really big into like the cryptozoology thing. I think it's interesting to note that some of the X-Files episodes that to me are underwhelming are when they take something that has been, outside of the alien stuff, when they take something that has been established, it is sort of the real, you know, not a real thing, but has a well-versed mythology on it, at least in these early days. Like, oh, let's tackle um, the Jersey Devil. You know, they have an episode about the yeah. Jersey Devil. And structurally speaking, like, where they go with it, if I were to tell you, like, I think that idea is very interesting, particularly from someone who might, like, want to see a reasonable cryptozoological answer for something like what could this creature really be i think that was in it's interesting in in theory but you know we don't really for all of the x-files as long as it runs there's not many episodes that touch on that like i I guess what you would consider the bigfoot part of 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 the mysterious events right like what do we ever really get a quote-unquote bigfoot episode in the x-files i feel like this is the close about the closest we get not really in, in yeah
1: and, and they yet, only do
0: – they also don't even do – like, they do a, a quasi-vampire episode in early season two, but they don't do, like, Dracula, which you would think maybe they would.
3: Yeah. Well, they, they finally get around to doing something later. I think it's season five that's actually – they it, they handle it more humorously, but oh, it's pretty good. Oh, that's right.
0: That's a yeah. good one, too,
3: yeah. Later on. But – um, yeah, what, but the way this one wraps up is really kind of silly. So it disappointed me on that front. And they, uh, what did you guys think about that? I think it's, I think it is just called Jersey Devil. I think.
0: I, I kind of like that episode. Honestly, it's kind of like one of those. It's, it's kind of like it's not that good. It, it's not that. It's not that great. But it's kind of like uh It's 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 pretty good. I think that's the best way I would put it.
2: I think I was disappointed because. Well, I I, prob- I don't know that I knew what the Jersey devil was back then, but just from the name and and root, like the, uh, you know, what I had heard in passing, I, I think I wanted some sort of creature. I, I didn't want it to be as straightforward as it ends up being. So it's kind of nitpicky, but that's how I feel. Yeah.
1: yeah I, I agree with David. Um, yeah. The, the setup is, is really good. It's um, the first two acts are strong and it, it, it it set the bar too high for the end of the episode, which yeah. is kind of like, oh, really? That's it? Uh, oh, well.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's the same. It's an episode that's it's good. It's so good to a point that you're disappointed when it sort of doesn't carry itself over the line. I, was, I almost feel like some of the episodes of The X-Files that are kind
0: of maybe just pretty good or average, they always kind of have that same issue where... You know, they start out really strong and even the middle strong, but maybe the ending just doesn't quite work because they don't know where to go with it or they've kind of bitten off too much, too much to, that they could choose. So I always feel like that's kind of, if there is an episode that it doesn't reach, quite reach its potential, it's probably because of the ending.
1: Uh, another episode that I kind of liked, I liked a lot of the elements was Lazarus, which is Scully's old partner is, is possessed. Uh, and, oh no, sorry. Um, uh, that's, that's correct. But actually what I meant was young at heart. Um, <laughs> young at heart was the next one where there, there are experiments being done on prisoners <laughs> and they, they make a, a better human being from a dying prisoner. And now he's got a salamander arm. Wow. That is so um,
3: weird. That episode.
1: But,
0: I like episode, it though. These episodes are getting wild.
1: I know where, where you're just like, what? You gave a what? killer a better arm? Like, What are you thinking? Um, and I but, just remember scenes the, of
3: that salamander arm like creeping over the theater seats in like one scene. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, but the but the the dude with the weird arm is a really cool image. So th- th- there's some stuff that is uh, <laughs> that's yeah. worthy in the episode. It's just kind of a strange one.
3: Yeah, and another one where I felt that like, oh man, it's it starts so strong that I was disappointed it wasn't better. Was shapes, which is again the established uh, the the werewolf episode. You know, you're kind of excited. Uh, Skinwalkers are kind of the way it's presented in the in the episode, but this the again. The ambiance of the episode, the setting is so strong and the idea that they're setting it here kind of amidst the Native Americans and the the, uh, First Nation kind of stuff. That stuff is so cool that you're to me, it just feels like, wow, it didn't it didn't really go anywhere, per se. You know, it didn't it didn't like cash in on all the richness that it was seemed ready to jump into.
1: Yeah, it's a cool idea. If you like that basic idea, there's a book by Stephen Graham Jones that I recommend called Mongrels. Uh, it deals with a lot of uh native american point of view shapeshifters uh and um you know mixed uh mixed blood uh, so it's it, you know he's a native american writer so uh you know he writes a lot of his stuff from that point of view as a matter of fact i'm i'm reading his latest book right now and it's it's quite good so yeah, i recommend all of his stuff yeah i will have to check that
3: out because that that sounds really good and there were there were uh other stories done around the same time with similar themes and um, in fact, there's a, a decent movie. It's very, very nineties. It's not, it's not a, uh, maybe more mystical than a supernatural, but there's a movie called Thunderheart with Val Kilmer um, in oh, it. Yeah. It's, it's actually a pretty decent movie it takes place on reservations and stuff and has some of that mystical stuff. There were, in fact, I think there was another movie called Skinwalker around the same time that had, you know, but it just seems like such a, it could be so cool that you end up, particularly when it seems like it's x-files only jaunt into that mythology it you you're just sort of wish that it had gone a little further yep but um i don't have i i have a couple of comments here on the face very very brief ones on the facebook page uh but i think that's about it for season one uh my perspective i feel like well we we definitely we definitely have a an epic episode here and um <laughs> And I kind of figured it would be that way, which I'm cool with, because it, it this was a really strong season. I think when you walk out of this show, you have two great performances and great chemistry, but people you're willing to follow through just about anything, which you can see because, you know, you go through 24 episodes and every week you're tuning in and and again... Lots of times it's just for the interactions, even if the story is not is great. I don't, I don't really remember while I was watching the episodes, sitting there thinking like, oh, what a bust. You know, you sort of look at it after the fact and maybe think, well, that one could have been better. But so many strong, really great episodes. Uh, the fact that there's even a couple I view some of the best in the series happened here in the first season. Most shows don't have such a strong first season and particularly not out of the gate. So I'm pretty, I, I think it's a great first season, so...
1: Recommend it, yeah. I just want to say one more thing. Um, watching them on Hulu or Amazon Prime or wherever you can get it without commercials is so much cooler than when I originally saw these episodes broken up by commercials that totally destroy the atmosphere they're carefully setting up in every episode <laughs> every wow. 15 minutes. Yeah, it's so much yeah. better without it, commercials.
2: It, it, that's I hadn't thought of that, but that is totally right. Like, I can remember. Being creeped out, you know, you've got the lights down. Uh, I, I, oh, uh, this Friday I have the 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 living room to myself. I'm going to love this, and then it's interrupted by a commercial for Cookie Crisp
1: or, or,
3: <laughs> or Mustang. Exactly right. Like, oh, know, like, now there's a Peppermint the Patty commercial on. on yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah.
3: I'll have some Little Caesars, thanks. Um, yeah, it's just <laughs> it's, it's yes, I totally agree. That's true of so many so many of those shows but it's and it's so wonderful when it fades out and it fades immediately back up but because my my kids almost don't have a concept for what commercials are you know <laughs> because of right. yeah see, growing up in the age of watching everything on streaming they're like what just happened don't worry the uh-huh. show's coming back they think commercials are a separate kind of entertainment because they don't ever see it so they're like we're just gonna binge well, watch yeah because you can watch yes. like
2: three hours straight of them on youtube if you want right
3: so they're, they're their own art form right. as far as they're concerned but yeah that's that's a great point victor um, any final thoughts that any of you have on season one You know,
0: for coming out for just a season one and to have some of the best episodes that they ever do in a long running, you know, amazingly successful show is a testament to Chris Carter and his team and just kind of the vision they set out to make. And while, you know, even if some of them aren't as strong, you know, they're so crazy and the the ideas behind them are so kind of wild that they're, they're still worth watching. So I would recommend starting from episode one and just going plowing through the whole season.
1: Oh yeah. And also just wanted to add, I mean, the X-Files gave birth to so many different series and movies after it aired after the first season aired. I mean, you know, there weren't shows like CSI out with all that stuff. All that stuff comes from the X-Files. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Science fiction on TV, I think it revived that. I think even some of the look of the X Files, you know, came into other series and and stuff later. And and the, you know, it was always being compared to when you had a a show uh, that was slightly had a supernatural edge for the longest time. So they really, it was really groundbreaking. Say a lot of the the same things.
2: It's ahead of its time. It's uh, it's the innovator. You're totally right. Things, uh, other shows took its look, um, but uh, its creators went on to to create other insane, insanely popular shows. Like, yeah, there's so much talent here. Definitely worth watching if you're if you're into genre fiction at all.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true, and that's the thing to remember that a lot of people don't is that science fiction on both on the big screen and the little screen was not in a great place at this point when the x-files comes back in you know in the summer of 93 you basically have jurassic park happens which which reinvigorates a lot of that partially with the special effects and shows hey this is what we can do now and then on television with the x-files because after this this is when you really start to see some of those um those long dormant uh, franchises start to spring back up again. You know, I mean, Star Trek comes out with another movie. Uh, not too many years from this, Aliens has another entry, you know, and uh, Independence Day comes out and kind of starts to stoke that. And, you know, it does start with the Aliens, but X-Files is a big reason. And also we we alluded to it at the beginning, X-Files is a big reason why you have this, uh, the advent of the, of Hollywood beginning to listen to that, what begins as a cult audience, but now the nerd, geek, whatever you want to call it, a contingent, sort of is the main focus, for better or worse, that people cater to, you know what I mean? And I think it's with the X-Files that that tide starts to turn, and it is these niche people that have been yep. watching these things on and on, that we're not trying to certainly hit the main who, you know, your average American viewer who's looking at these things, X-Files proves that the cult audience can be the, the winning audience, if you will.
0: Yeah, the mainstream audience in
2: a way. Uh, and now it is the mainstream audience, right? Yeah, exa- yeah. exactly right, yeah. So, yeah, that's...
3: um. Unless anyone has anything else, that's about what I have. I did want to just—I uh, uh, put this up on Facebook, and we got a few responses, including Tommy, who says, "Hey, oh, let, let me let me come on." So, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks for joining. It was so right. much fun to have you. I'm All glad right. we were able to oh, to get you on. And um, oh, thanks so much, but, guys but a couple of quick comments, Uh, I've asked everybody who their favorite episodes. And it's funny how a lot of the ones we talked about just keep coming up. And Dave Becker just says, tombs kind of just screams tombs (laughs) comment. And uh, I think that's a lot of times when you talk about people who watched it, it's like, (laughs) yeah, that's, uh, that episode comes to mind. And, um, Brandon Schaefer says, man, that's hard. Any of the stuff with Mulder and Deep Throat, which we talked about. And then and he mentions, what did you guys think about the tribute to the thing with the episode Ice? And uh, and he says, also the episode Shapes is a favorite of mine. So the, that werewolf episode we were talking about, that is a favorite of Brandon. So, uh, But yeah, the, mentioning Ice and, and all the the Deep Throat stuff, which we talked about, I think that's all like strong. Stuff that sticks with you from from the first season, and the, the interesting thing about season two is how they deal with that void that's left with not having the deep throat character there because he's so integral to sort of moving the mythology along, you know. Um, and uh, let's see what else. And then um, let's see. James McFetters mentions, and he says he said Eugene Thomas, and I realized oh he meant was Eugene Tombs, uh it, again. I don't know that you, that's still one of the most iconic and kind of chilling villains, particularly in the monster, of the Week stuff. But, uh, let's see any other comments. I think, I think that was mostly it, but, um, yeah, so that's x file season one, I guess uh, everybody here are good for coming back for x file season two at some point in the future.
2: You know it. Yeah. So, game and
0: I'll actually watch the episodes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you did pretty well for having like a, a like a 45 minute, um, like heads up (laughs) you've got most (laughs) of an episode in and you you clearly have watched them enough that you were able to hold your own tommy so thanks thanks for coming on and next season is really interesting because you do have like you you've got it's it's weird i think to start the season when you have a show that's so built upon the chemistry of two people and to start that season without that chemistry sort of, you know, I think here it's less on purpose than maybe some other shows do. And it was more out of necessity, as we mentioned with, with um, Jillian Anderson being pregnant, but um, it does set up a very interesting season. So I'm looking forward to that. Anything else that uh, you guys want to add before I I'll, I'll pass it around. Everybody can kind of, uh, Um, promote anything you want to promote but other than that do we have any final thoughts on x-files
2: no just that's a great show everybody should check it out
0: yeah agree if you haven't seen it definitely watch it
3: yes yes agreed so let's go around and um and tommy i'll start with you uh let everybody know where they can find you anything else you want to uh promote or plug go for it
0: yeah, thanks so much, guys. i said, like to just appreciate everybody on here uh, welcoming me onto the show. I know it was kind of last minute, but I had a, a blast, and hopefully we can do more seasons in the future. Of course, I'm part of Real Talk, a movie podcast. We've been on this show before. We were on the infamous uh, Christmas Carol episode where I bash Tiny Tim. Um, we interview a lot of uh, people in the industry, so if you haven't checked us out before, please give us a, a holler. Uh, we're over on Twitter at at real R E E L (laughs)
3: underscore cast awesome awesome uh and yeah check out real uh real talks awesome podcast and we also uh victor uh you want to go ahead and share where they can find you
1: oh yeah um yeah i mean first of all i just wanted to thank you for having me on the show nathan always a pleasure uh and uh david and tommy it was great meeting you guys Uh, i would love to do another episode with you had such a good time tonight um But uh, yeah, I'm uh, Victor H. Rodriguez is my name. If you want to look me up on Amazon, I'm a writer. Uh, I've got a book in paperback and digital out there called The Sound of Fear. And um, uh, if you are interested in looking at my mini thumbnail movie reviews and that kind of stuff, just follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at Dime Store Caesar. So it's D-I-M-E-S-T-O-R-E. C-A-E-S-A-R. And, um, yeah, just one last thing I want to promote is uh, I have a, a nonfiction article uh, that delves deep into uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Um, and it's in, in uh, yeah, the summer issue of Speculative City magazine. It's completely free to read. Just uh, type in Speculative City on your um browser and, uh, awesome. and, and i have a link to eight, that article the you weird. mentioned
3: uh, Victor in and uh, I talked about how episode, so you know
1: HP Lovecraft um, ties in with uh, Prince of Darkness and, and, and all uh, the, Dave how about you the sci-fi um, well, well, identity I, crisis same for me movies I, I had 50s, an amazing kinda, time tonight uh,
2: thanks for having us get
1: into it and, and um, I can't wait to do yeah, this again with you guys it
2: was great to finally meet both of you online sorry meet online yeah and if you want to find more of what I'm up to Oh, great. I've got a podcast called The Great Fright North on Podbean, uh, where I try to, as often as possible, spotlight Canadian horror movies, although I do like horror from around the world. And you can also check us out uh, on Instagram, The Great Fright North on Instagram. And if you want to reach me, North at gmail.com. And I've also joined a podcast with some local gamers up here. We have a show called Forest Moon Radio, also on Podbean. And that's a, a podcast about the X-Wing Miniatures game and Star Wars in general.
3: Awesome. That's cool. I will, I definitely need to check that one out. And that's uh, yeah, that's about it. And, of course, you're uh, at Phantom Galaxy. You can find us at phantomcasts at uh, gmail.com. And you can also find uh, us at Phantom Galaxy within F F A N T O M Galaxy at Twitter. And, oh, of course, yeah. we're on Facebook as well. And uh, yeah, so anyone who's listening, just let us know any uh, your thoughts about the episode, anything you'd like to see, and then I will be um, I'll be setting it up so that we can have more earlier, uh, more listener feedback for season two. So I'll uh, have a place where you guys can send any messages you want to send and leave, uh, leave feedback as well that we can share on the show. Again, this is the Phantom Galaxy signing out. Take care, everyone. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Ares Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at aresbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy.